Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Day. This is a Star Trek's edition. This is 41 on the Star Trek's calendar. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Um, This is a good week. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, scores are negotiable. Things are negotiable. Uh, they did come out pretty good this week, though. Yeah. Uh, especially, uh, I was a little bit generous with a couple of takes. So I'll discuss uh, at some points. I have alternate takes for at least one episode that are not good, but I'm generally going to credit them with the nice take. That's all right. That's normally you don't. And so I, again, I think I told you offline that I support the work you're doing this week. Okay, good. In bailing the writers out for not doing what they're supposed to do. As usual, we're going to take uh, last week's uh, last week's uh, weakest showing and start there. Um, last week that was very rare because it was TOS. Yeah. So, um, that means the first episode we're discussing this week, unless you have any new business... No, let's do it. ...is The Deadly Years. That's Matthew with the CBS Orchestra. Mm. <clears throat> Uh, Kirk's away uh, team beams down for a routine inspection of Robert Johnson's scientific expedition to Gamma Hydra 4. Mm. Uh, but no one is there to greet him. You mean none of the six people on the colony? Six people. It's a yeah. six-person planet. Another one of them six-person planets they come across. He talked to this guy on the phone an hour ago, and uh, they know they're coming, and this is supposed to be routine, but no one's there waiting for him. So they split up, <clears throat> and uh, Chekhov goes into one of these little yurts that they're living in and finds a dead body. How does he and handle he, it? How would you say he handles it? Um, Like someone who's pretty green, I would say. <laughs> well, he handles it in the manner of someone who's pretty green. Like, I would say he was that green. Yeah. Uh, no, nah, he screams and loses his mind. And um, everyone comes running to see, and it's the body of a real old man who is dead of natural causes. Uh, and then two more olds show up, and uh, here's the big twist. They are 29 and 27 years old, yeah. but they're real old. I think they say no one on the colony is as old as 30. That's right. There's not even one 30-year-old on this scientific colony. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's a young man's game to go live alone or nearly alone on these planets. It must be like PIs sending their grad students out to take care of shit. You oh, go live be. on this colony. All right, here's what you're going to go do. Go get weird radiation on this colony. Trust me, this is going to get you a real top-of-the-line paper. This you're going to be team. in nature for sure. You're going you're gonna to want, you're gonna want to have your name attached to this. Yeah. Um, one of the people that has come down on this landing party, I don't think they even bothered to say her job. 
yeah. is a young woman named Lieutenant Galway. And as soon as as soon as the uh, old woman, as soon as Grandma says she's twenty seven, they do a real zoom cut to this lady's face, and she's not liking what she's seeing here. Yeah. It turns out that these two are the last survivors of the colony, and the other four all died of old age. And uh, the man who turns out to be Robert Johnson himself is uh, it's pretty out of it and kind of senile. So they don't get a lot out of him, and they start floating some real dumb theories like, hey, we're kind of near the neutral zone. What if it's a Romulan super weapon? Yeah. But they got, like, no clues. And also, on board the ship is some Commodore. Commodore of the week, whatever his name is. Commodore Stalker. Okay. And he wants to get back to to old Starbase 10. He's on his way to Starbase 10. He's not um, subtle about it either. He really wants to go back, and he lets it be known in every scene that he wants to go to Starbase 10. Yeah. And he, um, you know, he tries to phrase it like a manipulative 10-year-old in a grocery store where he's like, don't you think, wouldn't it be better if we went to Starbase 10? Don't we we need some Snickers bars, though? (laughs) They got better stuff here on Starbase 10. Uh, But Kirk doesn't want to leave until they figure out the fuck is happening here. Right. And so, uh, I guess he gets to make that call. Sure. The, they yeah. have made clear in the past that Schiff's mission is usually Kirk, and then Commodore is like... Um, Interf- yeah. He just is there to interfere. <laughs> yeah, in he's Star not Trek. an interference. <laughs> he's, he's just there to fuck shit up. It's like a test that you have to take every couple of weeks. <laughs> Commodore shows up and messes with your whole mission, and you've got to find a way to get through it. Uh, also on board is an endocrinologist, which, by the way, seems like a great coincidence. Super yeah. great that there's another doctor on board. It seems like endocrinology could be related to this in some way. Also, though, she is like an old flame of Kirk's. As always. Somebody so they banged did, at Christmas parties or something. They did sex in a while ago, and then he left because he's married to the sky or whatever. Mm. And, um... They do a few beats out of We'll Always Have Paris, and then uh, Kirk gets called back to the bridge. You mean because she married an old an old scientist? Yeah, she had married an old scientist on some world, and, uh, you know, they hadn't seen each other in a while, and would things be any different now? <clears throat> right. Et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, back up on the bridge, Spock's got a theory that, uh, like, a rogue comet may have caused whatever's happening down there. And so Kirk starts to give orders to investigate this. Uh, and he also starts to um, repeat his orders. Hmm. Repeats a command in a way that Spock and Sulu immediately find worrying. Yeah, Sulu is not cool about it at all and just calls him on it immediately. He's like, yeah, you already told me to. Yep. It's like, hey, um, you're a fucking nobody, so maybe just keep that to yourself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no one goes... Well, uh, clearly he's got this whole situation with this lady doctor on board, and also some Commodores breathing down his ass. Maybe he's doing cut up his some slack. Exam. Everyone is like, "Is he also getting old?" Yeah, right away. Do you think he could also be getting old? You know, I find this sometimes happens in TOS, and we'll get into it in execution where they um, they really rush into it, like they're afraid they're not going to have enough time, but then they yeah. really waste time in the back end. Exactly. So they do. no one could like try to figure it out. They all immediately know that he's getting old. They come running right up to it. And in fact, here we do. Here we go, because we cut immediately to sickbay where Galway shows up complaining about hearing loss. Mm-hmm. So like, 
even the slow thinkers in the room must be starting to figure it out. Yeah. Um, but we we then go, uh, we then see Kirk inve- uh, repeat another order to investigate this comet that may have flown through there. And Spock's like, yeah, no, we're doing that. We're, right. we're on comet patrol. And uh, Johnson dies at this point also. He's the and last now, of... Now the- we're hurtling towards it. McCoy's getting gray hairs. Hmm. Uh, Kirk has a shoulder pain and it turns out to be arthritis. And uh, as these dipshits start to figure it out, old gray Scotty comes in. Oh, yeah. He and he's rough. old as hell. I mean, he was hell old anyway, but he looks rough. And they also have figured it out to the point where as soon as we cut back, they're like, well, Chekhov ain't aging. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's work on that and hurry it up because Spock says we have a week to live. Right. And uh, by the way, we're aging mentally faster than that, so we're probably going to be dum-dums before that week is up. And I was going to say, it seemed like they were aging mentally faster than they were aging physically, because at one point the computer estimates that Kirk is between 60 and 72, but he is, like, gone. He's long gone. This is great 1960s math where someone's like, oh, he's 65? Well, you can't expect him to be all there. (laughs) That's right. I mean, like, granted, our dad is, you know, in that age range, and he's all gone. I mean, he had but, brain damage 25 years ago from his huge heart attack. 20, right. <laughs> 22 years ago from his huge heart attack. So, so I was going to say, I don't think Kirk has had the same conditions as our father. Doesn't seem to. Doesn't seem to have. Yeah. Um, uh, they're just throwing anything at the wall to see what sticks. Like uh, this lady doctor, Dr. Wallace, has got a dumb theory about giving people a high-carbohydrate diet yeah. to slow down aging. As if she's working from some racist theory like, hey, you ever noticed Italians stay sharp until they're real old? She doesn't come right out and say that that's what it is, but like... Also as if a change in diet would have uh, an effect on the hyper-aging syndrome that they, that's are, right. that they are under. Like, this is not a 20-year plan, lady. They throw out a couple of little things here and there, like, we've got a condition that resembles aging, or it's like aging, but for most of the show, everyone just treats them as if they're aging. Yeah. As if that's what's actually happening to them. Um, the other thing about Dr. Wallace is apparently she's got some dumb daddy issues, and it means that uh, Touch of Grey Kirk is kind of working for her. Oh, hell yes. Um, but uh, he's insulted by the old, the whole thing, and he's like, I don't know, are you giving me, you're trying to give me one last good memory to go out on? Yeah, he's, he plays it off like um, she's pitying him. Yes. But nah, she just likes like Don Rumsfeld. That's yeah, he hit. Too. I mean, he he lands on it right away when he's like, "Hey, wasn't your husband like a lot older than you?" And she's like, "You're like 25 years older." So than yes, you. I'm a woman it. on Star Trek. I've got all kinds of problems. Yeah, I'm pretty fucked up. Yeah, that's why I'm into you. Um, but then he's like, "Are you just pitying me?" Whereas he doesn't say the thing that's most important. I got like probably days left. I'm not going to waste any of it doing whatever this is. Especially because we're about to just waste a ton of time on some other shit. Yeah, we got a lot going on. So, um, <clears throat> uh, we see Kirk fall asleep in his chair. Stalker's just right there. Uh, Spock has discovered that they passed through the tail of the planet, passed through the tail of this comet, and got some weird radiation, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spock's starting to show his age, he's getting cold, etc. And um, finally, at this point, Stalker uh, pulls Spock aside and he's like, Kirk's losing it. Yeah. I mean, everyone's losing it, but you're kind of the best. And also, this is your problem to deal with now. 
Yeah, I think he also and I, says, but uh, yeah, okay, you got it too, but you're Vulcan. So that's true. You, you'll be okay. Right. Um, and Spock doesn't want to replace Kirk, but uh, Stalker orders him to hold a competency hearing. Yeah. And this is what um, I meant by time wasting, because apparently they got time for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be so many hours. Wild. And they do the thing by the book. Uh-huh. Uh, Galway has dropped dead at this point, so at least we don't get to hear about the time that she had a thing with Kirk at the Christmas party or whatever. Well. Uh, McCoy she... says she dies first because of her fast metabolism. I don't know what that means, but she did seem like a little bird person, so maybe. <laughs> kind of like a little hummingbird of a woman. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Um. All right. We're at the hearing, and Kirk gives a cranky opening statement. About how it's all nonsense and none of it is anything. And then Spock calls all of his witnesses and just has them all tell the board all of the things that we've seen happen. Yeah, it's really a and waste nothing of my that we time. have nothing that we haven't seen happen. Waste of your time and mine as people who are forced to watch these shows every two weeks. And like the whole point of this scene is to show that the crew doesn't want to testify against Kirk. But they, they know the deal. Well, they weren't going to say anything. I mean, he is the captain. So, like, Uhura doesn't want to snitch, but they force her to admit that Kirk did the wrong secret code with the Romulans. And, uh, and the computer says he's between 60 and 72 years old. And McCoy tries harder than anyone, but at the end he's like, yeah, no, he's just old as hell now. Yeah. He's just real old. And then Kirk gives a real embarrassing statement in his defense. Yeah, about how he doesn't like the Mexicans coming in and taking all the jobs. Right. Stuff like that. Ask me any question. I remember everything. We're in orbit of Gamma Hydra 2, right? And then everyone's like just closes their eyes like they can't believe he he said Gamma Hydra 2 instead of Gamma Hydra 4. Right. Um, so everyone is real embarrassed by Kirk. And uh, Spock is similarly afflicted. And Scotty is afflicted. And so, like, I think... I think at Kirk, if Kirk had gotten to choose, he probably would have just put Sulu in command. Yeah. But uh, here's old Stalker, so he's going to take command. And now here's the thing about Stalker. He wants to go to Starbase 10. He's going to go to Starbase 10, by the way. <laughs> he likes he's some kind of desk jockey. He's never been a starship commander before. Yeah, I don't know what the route is to Commodore, but apparently you can get there without uh, ever having, having been a ship's captain. a starship yeah. or anything. So. Well, and that's the route he took. So everyone's like, this dude shouldn't be in command. And sure enough, order number one, let's cut right across the Romulan neutral zone to go to Starbase 10. Because I got to get to Starbase 10. Oh, but also, by the way, warp five. <laughs> so we're, we are going to cut across the neutral zone, but don't push the engines. There's a rule somewhere that says go at warp five, and I'm going to follow that rule. Right. Um, This is an immediate mistake. Yeah, because they, there are like 10 Romulans out there cloaked, Romulans and they done, start shooting immediately. Done snore out of nowhere, man. Yeah, they're just they're just all there. They're just all there. So the ship's getting all blasted, and uh, all of the old people have convened in sickbay to die together, I guess. But I think they just started a bridge club or something. Yeah. Uh, but this is when they finally work out that the difference between Chekhov and all of the rest of them was that... He's a big old scaredy cat, and he saw that dead body. Yep. And McCoy starts listing all of the symptoms of being afraid. Yeah. And uh, finally they're like, adrenaline! 
Oh, adrenaline. Is, we used to think that might be a treatment for radiation poisoning until we discovered hyronolin. Because this is Star Trek, this idiotic idea of theirs that he was so afraid he didn't get the, the syndrome yep. actually works out. Yeah, it turns out there is a negative universe, and yes. if and they could mutually annihilate each other if they met outside the corridor. Yep. So, all right. Uh, McCoy sends Spock off to whip up some adrenaline. Apparently he can't do it. Don't know why. Sure. Well, he's Spock's, old. Spock's problem now. Yeah. So they start working on that. Um, and meanwhile on the bridge, Stalker's not handling this Romulan situation well. He's like, he freezes up. He tries to talk to the Romulans and everyone on the bridge is like, they're not going to talk to us and they don't take prisoners. They're just going to blow this whole dang ship up. Yeah. So that I thought, sucks. I thought he was just playing Star, Starfleet captain, where you have to get shot 31 times before you're allowed to return fire. At first, I was like, "Oh, he's just gonna he's gonna get smoked for a bit, and then he's gonna come out firing." But no, he gets shot a bunch, and then he goes, "Well, I guess we should surrender then." Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. Um, because his behavior is exactly consistent with the way anyone would have acted in Star Trek, where they take a bunch of shots and never return fire. We really rely on uh, <clears throat> Sulu. Sulu's reactions to things to know that he's doing bad. Yes. Um, Spock comes in with a open beaker of some red thing and Kirk demands that he get the first dose. And then he gyrates in pain while the camera just looks at his crotch. So he's doing a real Elvis Presley here. Right. By the but way, at least they don't attempt to show him aging in reverse. Is the second time that I can recall in TOS where someone has come up with an inoculant that could kill you or cure you. That's right. That's the main thing they do. This is, isn't that what happened in the Miri episode? Uh-huh. That he does all the science on their 1960s science equipment, and then he goes, I don't know if it'll kill you or cure you. And it's like, well, boy. You I can't mean, have a guess? Yeah, you didn't do a very good job, I think. It's just 50-50? Yeah, that's it. This is like that as well. It'll either cure you or kill you. So, of course, Kirk, being the manliest man in the room, demands to go He's first. He's going to take your first. Yeah. Um... And uh, the next time we see old Kirk, he is his normal self. He's on the bridge, and he's got a plan. He's going to send a message on this Code 2 that he knows the Romulans have broken. And he's announcing that he's going to blow up the ship using the Corbomite device. That's and right. it's going to destroy all matter within 200,000 kilometers and leave the area contaminated for four solar years. Yeah, he's brought out the old Corbomite trick. And uh, Romulans fall for this shit because they're not smart. They and uh, they uh, so they pull back and Kirk punches it out at warp eight and gets away. And um, then he goes to flirt with uh, what's her name and I guess later in his quarters when the camera's off he writes a letter to Galway's folks back home. Who knows? Because again, doesn't seem to have affected him. <laughs> no, that Lieutenant Hummingbird died. He often is not affected. Yeah, by the death of these little fucking peon motherfuckers. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is this episode about, Matthew? I didn't do as good a job as you, and I think Ben, this week, of reverse engineering takes. I see. The best I could do for this one was uh, getting old as hell. <laughs> like, I get that the fear of every vital, sexy, shirtless 1960s hunk is to be old and useless, but that's a real who cares for me, and I gave it a two. Yeah. 
Um, Ben's a little better on, on you than you on this one. He's a four. And he says, age and experience Trump being a dumbass. And, but that there's a cynical take, which is that old people are gross. Sure. Um, so he's got it at a four. I also have it at a four. So there are two. I think there are two possible takes from this episode. The nice take, the one I'm going to give them is yeah. something like the elderly have experience and wisdom that shouldn't be discounted. Okay. But it is possible also that the that the entire take of this episode is, hey, that chump with his desk job, he doesn't know what it's like out here. Yeah. Yeah, Which if the episode had of... been more about that guy, right? then I think that would be maybe the, the more valid take. But he's only there to cause distractions. But it's a little, there's a little bit of an anti-Star Trek attitude here, which is that, you know, not just anybody can command a ship. There's some innate thing that some people have and other people don't. Well, I think TOS does think that, because Kirk has told us in the past, you need your murderous animal instincts yep. um, to be a good captain. You've got to have that side of you. Yeah, that is true. Uh, again, I think uh, Don't Throw the Elderly Away is a fine take for the 1960s, but it's just a four for me. Okay. Uh, how did you feel it uh, handled execution on this episode? Um, okay, so I thought that the portrayal of aging here is a little more nuanced than in Unnatural Selection. Mm-hmm. Like, in that one, the stakes were just that those people who were infected were going to age and die and all these kids that have to live out their lives in quarantine. But here there's like a lot of command implications and competency hearings and neutral zone stuff. Right. That makes it sort of a more interesting aging episode. The big problem for me is that, um, the one major decision that Commodore Stalker makes to violate the neutral zone doesn't make any sense for that character. Yeah. He's supposed to be by the book. Yeah, exactly. He He's by the book. He's going to do this competency hearing to the letter. Uh, and then he's going to make a decision to violate the neutral zone. What is waiting for him on Starbase 10? Do, we need the prime, real He's got a ship of prime Mexican reds, like all Commodores. <laughs> it's, it's just... There's something happening that we didn't get the whole story on, because he is so desperate to get there. You're right. He will just go right through the Romulan neutral zone and go up against like a dozen Romulan birds of prey or whatever. Yep, exactly. Because they're sick. Like, he's not going to skirt the neutral zone and go at warp 8, which Kirk orders the ship to. The ship can do warp 8. Yeah. Uh, He's going to go warp 5 through the neutral zone. It is pretty wild. Also, if the take is that not to throw the old people away, (sighs) Kirk Kirk is shitty when he's old. He's a bad captain. He's forgetful, but he's not going to take him into the neutral zone. No, but he comes and saves the day once he's a young man again. I think that take would have been better served if he had somehow saved the day even as an elderly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It just wouldn't have been dramatic. He's, he's handsome young Kirk again, and then he's, he's going to show those Romulans his cobramite ass. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Uh, I thought there was pretty good acting from the leads, although you have to counterbalance that against very bad acting from the two guest actresses. And I did not like the romance plot at all. I have this right down the middle at a five. Okay. Um, so again, my take was just getting old as hell. Uh, this would be better if it was about like another, like a, the guest character was like a former hotshot. Right, like the Kirk like a Jameson of, type, a real Jameson type, maybe. Yeah, like the Kirk of thirty or forty years ago, who then has to deal with getting old, and then um, 
you know, we we gotta deal with him taking command or something. Like when Kirk, like. like when Kirk takes the Enterprise back from Decker and then gives a bad phaser order. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Like does a that. does a wormhole and gives a bad <laughs> phaser <laughs> order. Says we have to belay it at like um, half speed. We got a half speed belay, belay that. <laughs> Phaser order. <laughs> that dude's a child molester. I know, it did turn out to be the case. But you know what? It kind of turned out to be the case about one in three people. So, you know. I guess that's true. It turns that's... out a lot of people like to diddle. <laughs> that's how it goes, I guess. Um, <laughs> throwing 34 year old Kirk into it is kind of weird since he probably hadn't given aging a lot of thought at this point. That's true. Um, so it wasn't like he had been on his mind and then he was forced to, to cope with it. I don't know. I didn't feel like it was a good way to explore. Yeah, age. there's not a scene that sets up in the beginning that he's getting a back pain or something. Or that his McCoy's eyes aren't like, good. Yeah, and, that's going to keep happening to M- you. McCoy got him some antique lenses because he's allergic to um, right. whatever the drug is. Standard treatment. <laughs> we just keep yeah. getting back to the Star Trek movies. Um, well, they deal with aging consistently throughout, so I think it's... yeah. It is sort of the major theme of some of the movies. And then my major problem with it, aside from premise stuff, is these guys are rapidly aging and will be dead soon. Isn't this hearing a huge waste of time? Yep. Just remove them from command, or try to help them through it. What good does it do to have this very deliberate, slow competency hearing that lasts forever because you have to call all these witnesses and everything? They're going to be dead in a minute. Well, again, this is this by-the-book Commodore who's about to violate the neutral zone in a minute here. Uh, All in all, I gave it a three. Mm. Yeah. Um, Ben Scott is a four. He says they aged Spock well, but not Kirk. He thinks that Shatner may be pushed back on looking old. He asks why forgetfulness is a mutiny-level offense and that the whole thing wasn't believable. Yeah. And he split the difference between us with a four. He's a three on world building. Okay. He says uh, Romulans almost destroyed Enterprise one-on-one, but today they can't do it with ten of their warbirds. Well, that was not a normal Romulan ship, I think, we're meant to believe. Uh, Well, it had uh, Spock's dad on it, so. It also had those super torpedoes. Yeah. Corbin might maneuver again. Is this a writer's cop-out or continuity? Uh, he thinks it's the former. I think it must be continuity. It has to be, right? Why I, would they use the word corpomite? Yeah, I the, have corpomite maneuver again. I guess keep using it until it fails? Yeah. Continuity. <laughs> well, listen, Baylock was delighted by it. He thought, he thought that was a great trick. Baylock thought that was amazing. Uh, and then he's surprised that the best they can do is up to ten warbirds. Um, he says their sensors suck if they have to round off, but maybe the cloaking device confuses things. Yeah, maybe they were cloaking in and out, and it was hard to yeah. get a good count. Hard to say. Yeah. I thought there was a lot more going on in terms of world building. Um, but, but it's my turn! Think? What did you think? <laughs> Another colony with six whole people in it. Why even bother with this colony? Another random Commodore. Um, I'm, I assume the internet has counted all of the Commodores that appear on TOS. Oh, it must have. Cause I'd be sh- surprised if that wasn't a special ex Scientia article. Let me just search Commodore. Gamma Hydra 4, hyperaging illness caused by radiation from a rogue comet's tail. Uh, the Romulans have broken Code 2. It's okay, though, because there's always Code 3. Um, the competency hearing and all of that nonsense. Commodore with no Starship Command experience, and they don't tell us what his background is. 
Um, again, this takes place near the neutral zone, so there's some Ramo shit in it. Hydronaline is the treatment for most kinds of radiation, but adrenaline is also a treatment, which sounds dumb. Uh, this is at least the second time they've come up with an out that either cure or kill. We already talked about that. Chekhov seems to believe Romulans don't take captives. I don't know if that's a fact or just some shit that he heard in the mess hall. Good, good question. Could be either. Uh, the Romulans sent ten, ten birds of prey out here, which is kind of wild considering they don't have warp drive, right? No, that's no, it's impossible that they don't have warp drive. I get it. We were but, told that, though, right? But the ship is moving at warp 5 when it's attacked. Right! <laughs> so, so Scotty says their power is simple impulse. Yeah. Oh, so that is the basis for all of the the Trek um, background about how they don't have warp drive. Is that line? Is that one line, yes. Okay. Yeah, Scotty and then in every spoke. other instance, everything we see only makes sense if they do. Yeah, he must have misspoke. Yeah. Um... And the Gorbonite maneuver again. So, um, I thought there was some stuff, but nothing that's gonna matter after this episode is over, really. I gave it a three. Okay. Well, here's some of the stuff that I think informs how this universe works. Okay. Code two. Right. Romulan code breaking, etc. Again, there's always code three. That's right. <laughs> Once they break code two. Well, then use code three. He goes, uh, I don't know. Use code three, then. Who gives a shit? Uh, the captain here is giving specific orbit orders. Yes. And everyone acts like that's normal. Yes. Yeah, he tells them 20,000 so, kilometers or whatever. Right. That's an interesting idea, that the captain is picking orbital parameters. Yeah, you think that would just be up to the navigator or somebody. Science station? I don't know. All of the competency hearing stuff. Yeah. Like, we never see this in TNG. No, when There's they no mutiny, com- they just They mutiny. never do a competency hearing. They just go to Riker's quarters and do a mutiny. Yeah. <clears throat> you can become a Commodore without commanding a starship. Yep. The Enterprise has got just incredible shields. <laughs> Either that or the Romulans suck. <laughs> yeah, one of those two. Yeah. Uh, I also thought that returning to an old medical protocol that had been abandoned was an interesting idea. Yeah. Um... So I was inclined to stick it there. I gave it as many as six points for world building. Whoa! I like how this universe seems to be a real thing. Huh. Like, they know the Romulans have broken code, too. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I just wonder if that'll ever come up again. Like, if it matters. Like, the captain initials reports. Yeah. We learn in this. Yeah. It's weird. We had almost all the exact same stuff, but we felt very different about the importance of it. I just thought that uh, I feel like this world is a lot more real because of the stuff that's in this episode. Like, it behaves like a real universe to me. I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, those are things that we will know happen in that universe now. And I'm a six on characterization, too. Okay. I thought um, Kirk has a real sense of entitlement about his ship. That's not new. Right. He He doesn't think very much of people who have never sat in that chair. That also makes sense for Kirk. Yeah. I thought Spock was very strong in this one. He acts the most believably out of all of the aging people. Yeah. He doesn't exaggerate it. He's just like, no, I'm tired too. Like, he, he doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't have like a weird pride about it. Yeah, he's still Spock. He's, he's still just a uh, hundred year old Spock instead of 
whatever he is. Um, I thought that Chekhov mouthing off two feet in front of that Commodore was a little odd. <laughs> what is Chekhov, though? It's a good question. I don't know what his deal is. I just that he's green. I mean, that's it. Okay, how's this for Theory Corner? Uh, Kirk is a big fan of 1960s television, and he saw he met Chekhov on some star base somewhere, and he's like, that kid's like the guy from the monkeys. I'm into that. <laughs> Can we transfer that kid? Do you want to take a look at his service record? No, nah, I'm, nah, I'm good. Nah. Did you not hear what I was basing this on? I'm basing it on how he looks. That's I've seen his hair. Job. I don't need to see his service record. Now, was that? did he see um, crazy wig Chekhov? Or... Oh, yeah, definitely saw crazy wig Chekhov for okay. sure. All right, good. Uh, he probably was a little disappointed when Chekhov started toning it down. Because the wig in that... Was that Cat's Paw? Yes. The wig in Cat's Paw is... It's absurd. I mean, yeah, it really is. It's a very unbelievable wig. It just took him a while to grow his own hair out to monkey's length is the problem. Yeah. Um. So Kirk chews up the scenery in this episode. Yeah, he's a real grumpy old man. And just like in iMud, I don't hate that. Yeah, it's fine. I like it when he hams it up for some reason. I mean, as long sh- as the situation calls for it. You get shat for a reason. It's not to uh, be subtle. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm a six on characterization. I also like that he... I thought that he, his half of the romance plot was fine. That for, he's like... For once, he wasn't... Um, he's, he's done with this nonsense. Yeah, he wasn't doing anything too egregious at the moment. It's unclear what, it, what happened the first time around when they were actually knocking boots. Uh, Ben's a six on characterization, too. Oh, wow, okay. He says another old flame of Kirk's that he was going to marry, but didn't. They have the flirtation in the air, but they come at it kind of like adults. You know, we don't even need Theory Corner for this. He didn't marry this chick because he's never gotten over Ruth. That's right. I mean, that's all there is to it. <laughs> yeah, because he was like, he had a whole professional briefing with this woman. And then at the end, she was like, that's it. That's what's going on with us. <laughs> yeah, Whereas when he saw Ruth, he was like, Ruth. <laughs> Ruth! Like I just fought that Irish guy, but this is really <laughs> interesting to me. Uh, going back to the dumb Star Trek movies, it makes me mad now that he married Antonia. I mean, who the fuck is that? Yeah. He had the Nexus and he didn't marry Ruth? That's a very good point. Where was Ruth? This is... I need to figure this out. Um, I, th- I thought it was straight down the line. I gave it a five. Um, Chekhov? Definitely not cool enough to be on a landing party. Yeah. Absolutely loses his shit when he sees the dead guy. Just runs around screaming, Captain! Captain! Yeah, he's not ready for it. For sure. (laughs) Then he complains loudly on the bridge about all of the samples he has to give while the rest of the senior staff hurdles towards senility and death. Yep. It's going real bad for these guys. And he is being a little whiny bitch about his small part. Sulu, real know-it-all, just pointing out Kirk had already ordered standard orbit. Again, keep it to yourself. Um, I like McCoy's philosophy. Why run any tests twice? You'll just come up with what you got the first time. Yep. So N equals one, is what McCoy says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Kirk is only 34, bro. Yeah, it's wild. I am this almost is, This 34. is season two. <laughs> this is season two of him right. in command of this ship. Kirk was my age when this, when this show started. You never judo chop nobody. No, I feel really bad about the whole thing. You barely ever serpentine. I just don't have any cause. Yeah. Listen, when I was 34, I could have had a weird shoulder pain, too. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, I've had shoulder pain for many years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have that part. I just don't have all the heroics. 
Yeah, he's doing real good. Uh, Kirk demands to take the antidote first, as we mentioned. Um, and he uses his only command trick to save them again. Well, you remember that Kirk threw that guy under the bus for leaving that circuit panel open. Mm-hmm. And that guy certainly thought that Kirk got a leg up on that and that he should have been the captain of the Enterprise. So maybe Kirk got politicked up there somehow. It's possible. Do we have any theory corner stuff about how Kirk is connected or? Uh, it's not totally clear that Kirk is connected. His relationship with the all of the Commodores. It is pretty shitty. Is a little bit adversarial. Yeah. But maybe he has a better relationship with the actual admirals. It's not clear. Do those exist? Also, I, the admiralty may be full of Commodores. I don't know. One difference to keep in mind between Kirk and Picard is that Picard is the captain of the flagship, a, a brand new top yeah. of the line ship. It's and true. Enterprise is, has been around. Enterprise is like 20 years old. Yeah. What is the flagship? They, they don't really tell us, do they? Uh, I think Kirk's uh, good tour of duty is going to change things around because eventually they'll all start wearing the Enterprise insignia. Uh. So, But right now it doesn't seem like there is one clear flagship. But we know there aren't actually that many starships yeah. of, uh, that count, right? So, well, Especially after the, the fucking um, huge bugle in space ate one. Yeah, it did. <clears throat> Uh, that's all I have, but I do have some some quickies. Oh, give them to me. Uh, Let me have them. Again, one of Kirk's old sex friends is on board, so that's great. Shirtless Kirk rides again. Why is the Commodore so eager to get to Starbase 10? I guess we covered a lot of this. Um, I actually liked that lady remarking on what a dumb place that was to hang a mirror. Yeah, that was definitely better than what I thought was going to happen, that which was... was we were going to get some Uhura-style <laughs> ruminations on staying young and beautiful forever. Yep. I thought that was actually a pretty good small touches moment, where she is angry about a lot of things. That is, She's not angry about that mirror, but what's she going to do? Um, This lady has always wanted to fuck an old man like Kirk. Um, Boy, we really did cover all this stuff already. Uh. Pff- Worst actor candidate? No. My ship. My <laughs> ship, Kirk. That's all I have. Um, uh, I wrote, uh, I can't wait to hear this young girl worry about her looks in five minutes when they figure out what's going on. <laughs> yeah. um, but Again, as, as you said, it kind of didn't happen that way. Yeah. Just what a dumb place to hang a mirror, which I, th- I also thought was good. Uh, turns out Chekhov is pretty green. We talked about that. Uh, that woman who I called a hummingbird, I wrote down that she is one of these people who makes it really obvious that we come from monkeys. She's got a real <laughs> monkey face. She's got like a little lemur face or something. She's, yeah, exactly. I just looked at her and I'm like, yeah, they are our closest ancestors. <laughs> people, and by the way, people who look at who go, I didn't come from no monkey. Have you seen people? We yeah, look just, a lot like monkeys. Just look at Gary, you know? I mean, sure. <laughs> Uh, I thought the director only had one note for Dr. Wallace, and that note was duskier. Because yeah. she is doing sex voice full-time. Yeah, he's like, now can you just say that again, but in a lower register. Start again. Really get really get some gravel in there when you say this line about using carbohydrates to whatever. Yeah. Food plan. Um, uh, she also has the great line, no problem is insoluble. Not even ours. I now, think I, I think I, I remember hearing that, and I was going to type it and forgot. Now, technically, that might be allowed, but it's not 
common coin. No, that's not a thing that people say. When Chekhov was doing his rant, did you see that red shirt sitting at the back? He was enjoying it. That's who Chekhov's ranting for. Some red shirt sitting at one of those consoles on the side that we never know what they do. You know, not not on the Uhura Spock side, but on the other side. Chekhov is a cut up for sure. And um, I think what we're finding is that the alternate universe versions of those guys are nearly identical to the regular universe versions of those guys. <laughs> you remember how they were just standing around fucking uh, groping themselves and watching the ladies? Yep. That's what the real ones are like, too. Yeah. And I thought Uhura did great mouth acting when Kirk said Gamma Hydra 2. <laughs> she really looked... She looked like I look when I watch sitcoms. Everybody knew that he stepped in it on that one. Yep. I gave her best actor for that moment, and I gave worst actor to Galway for Take Your Pick. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't. She's uh, chewing up the scenery in a way that I did not enjoy. At least she died. She did die. We won't be seeing her again. Yeah. Uh, did Ben have any quick hitters? Just uh, Kirk's supposed to be 34. He's not into that idea. It's not great to think about. He gave worst to down homeboy McCoy. Probably because McCoy's accent got thicker when he aged. But McCoy's accent gets thicker yeah. anytime he's not watching it. Well, also, when he's 137, his accent is mighty thick. I don't see no points on your ears, boy. boy. But you sound like a Vulcan. Straight up calls him boy. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not good. Uh, also, remember that in th- uh, 33 episodes, they're going to have a discussion about how... Do we treat Data like a slave? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, fourth in the order last week was Voyager. So next up for us is Basics, part one. Cliffhanger! Serial killer Lon Suter, having been... Is he a serial killer or just a regular type? I... that sounds like a football player's name. Lon Suter. It definitely yeah. sounds like a nineteen late sixties, early seventies, like yeah, the first exactly. Super Bowl. Lon Suter rambles he, into the end zone. This is a play where Johnny Unitas throws throws a pass to Lon Suter. Like yeah. but it's the end of Unitas' career. Yeah. <laughs> uh this old boy still in his quarters for for life as punishment yep. for his murder of uh Wikipedia says uh, crewman Darwin, I'm not going to look it up to see if that's right, um, has attempted to make amends for this by making several agricultural advancements. He still meets with Tuvork on a regular, uh, a regular basis for meditation and counseling? Yes. He just wants to uh, contribute. He'll tell us 40 times in this episode that after his meld with Tuvork, um, however many episodes ago that was now, He's really felt pretty bad that he's just sitting in there being useless when they have so many dang Delta Quadrant problems. Boy, don't they. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Vulcan mental disciplines learned from Tuvork keep his uh, homicidal tendencies under control uh, for the time being. On the bridge, Voyager gets a call from our old friend Fresca uh, asking for them to come and rescue her and her dang old baby, Chakotay's baby. Because she gave birth, but you remember Majkala, he's super sexist. And he saw that baby didn't look like Nog. <laughs> Whatever Nog's character's name was. He was the smallest Kazon I could think of. I That's assume true. he looks like Kazon babies. Um, 
And he went uh, on the warpath, and now she's got to run away, and they're out to get her. And even at the end of the message, she, it seems like maybe she's been caught by Kala. Which, by the way, if you're, this is all revealed to be a plan to lure Voyager in, and like, you wouldn't want to be caught at the end of your message because then they might just go, ah, too late. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> we, we missed yeah, the Yeah. Whatever. So anyway, she might have blown that. Um. Janeway and Chakotay talk about whether or not to go and save the kid. Chakotay seems, like, real butthurt about the idea that it's his responsibility because she sexed him under false pretenses or something. She stole his DNA. Oh, yeah, that's right. She, he didn't really impregnate her. She, they, uh, didn't, they didn't do a sex. And up until this point, by the way, not clear whether the baby's actually his. Could be Kala's. She yes. said both things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, anyway, she, uh, Chainway says that she's going to leave it up to Chakotay because she doesn't want to captain her way through this one. So it's Chakotay's choice whether to go after the kid. So Chakotay yep. goes... It was and, her, her choice to murder Tuvix. Yes, <laughs> she made a choice, now it's his turn. Her choice not to put the ship in danger um, by contacting the Vidians. Yeah, they didn't, but they didn't listen to that, though. Should we chase this trap, baby? up to you, Chakotay. Up to you, Chakotay. That's all right. He has a foolproof method. For... You built me a bathtub last week, so I'm going to let you make some calls. Also, he made up that really romantic story about warriors, lady warriors. Yeah, exactly. His foolproof method for making decisions is to talk to his spirit animal, which is now a human man who looks like yeah. his dad. That's his old daddy. His spirit animal is his dad, um, who's also Zoro's dad. That is correct. He is Don Alejandro de la Vega. Um, Zoro's dad tells him that a long time ago, white people did a lot of rapes. Yep. And they kept all those rape babies, so he should keep his trick baby. His tricky yep. baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so guess what? They're gonna go and do it. They're gonna go and try to save this baby. And they gotta come up with a plan. So they got, they have a, a planning session where everybody comes up with ideas, except Chakotay. Everyone but Chakotay yeah. has a good idea. For yeah, he doesn't really contribute to this meeting. Yeah, it's his his whole mission. He decided to do it, but he sits there quietly. Yeah, I mean, he asks Janeway to hang back at the end so he can say thank you. That's right. He's very polite. Uh, they come up with ideas for, like, um, the sensor echoes and uh, hologram hologram warships, just in case it's a trap and it's full of Kazon ships that they have to distract and divert. Um, but basically, they're going to go and do this thing. Uh they also, uh, just as they're getting underway, they find uh, a Kazon ship adrift with one dude in it, and they take him on board, and he's like, well, my name is um, Huang Gai, and I gotta tell you, this guy Zhou Yu was a real dick to me, and he abused me, and uh, anyway, this guy is, uh, I guess he was working for Fresca, but Kula caught her and killed her. And the baby's been sent to a slave colony or something. Yeah, Gemma 4. Yeah. So they that's where they should go to rescue the baby, but he doesn't want any part of it, because Kala's going to kick their ass. Um, they do eventually get some information from the guy about how to get there, the best route to take, stuff like that. So it seems like maybe he's on board. The further they get into Kazon space, the heavier their resistance is. They keep getting these little raids, and all the raids by these Kazon ships are attacking the same part of Voyager, the secondary command processors. 
And yep. every time they try to fix them, these uh, Kazon Raiders show up and knock them out again, and eventually they destroy them entirely. Um, Voyager's like, all right, they clearly have a plan. This isn't going that well. We're just going to stop, and we're going to turn around. Right when they make that decision, that's when the Kazon all come out of hiding, and there's a bunch of battleships and shit. So they're doing battle with these uh, MFers. Um, the Kazon defector blows himself up in his quarters. He, he like injects himself with something, and he, he his skin gets all bubbly, and he blows up. Yep. Um, and they're not doing good. Their their tricks work momentarily, but then again, after that explosion, their hollow emitters go out, so they're hollow. Their hollow warships leave, uh, their sensor echoes aren't doing anything, and they're really in the shit, so they send Paris out in a shuttle to go uh, contact the Talaxians, who they mentioned earlier in the episode. Because they're going to be real helpful. Yeah. So he goes off, but he, who knows, he might have been destroyed. They lose contact with his ship after it takes fire. And uh, eventually they are boarded by the Kazons, because shit's going bad. And uh, we all know how Janeway feels about shit. She's going to blow the ship up. That's plan A, B, and C. So she tries to arrange for the self-destruct to go off, but guess what? Oh, that shit's routed through the secondary command processors. Yeah, turns out Suska knew all about Janeway. Yep, knew all about Janeway, and apparently knew more about the ship than anyone on Voyager did. Yeah, no, no one, one else could was figure like, out why they were doing that. Oh shit, with those uh, those processors destroyed, we're not going to be able to self-destruct. Yeah, you'd think that her favorite plan being blow up the ship, she would be all over that but now nah, she wasn't um, she, there was not a scene earlier where she was like that's a real shame about it. i was just down there polishing the secondary command process <laughs> last week f- in case we ever need to blow ourselves <laughs> up <laughs> they're my favorite part of the ship um so they just have to straight surrender to the Kazon, and uh kala says a lot of sexist stuff about how ladies need to keep their mouths shut um anyway they're gonna beam the whole voyager crew down to a planet so like a dang old dinosaur planet it's like cavemen's and shit. Cavemen's and dinosaurs. Uh, because Kala is a Bond villain, and instead of just executing them, he's gonna... He wants them to have to live without technology the way they wanted the Kazon to live. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, also, he lands the ship. He doesn't beam them down. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he lands. He lands and lets them out. And, um, you know, Voyager leaves. Off to go do whatever they plan to do. Probably destroy all the uh, rival sects. And uh, the people on Voyager, uh, now on that planet, have to... Learn how to survive uh, cliffhanger style. See you after the summer. Yep. What was this End about? of season two. Uh, this is about... I wrote... Moral obligations don't change just because you can't trust another party. Okay. So the crux of this is that they don't trust Seska. They think there's a strong possibility that it's a trap. Yes. But they got to save this baby anyway. I know, because it's, um, it's, it's Willow. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's fine. It's not totally clear to me that they haven't, like, until they find out from Tirna that Seska is dead and the baby is being raised as a slave, it's not clear that they have an actual moral obligation to get this baby. Yeah. Like... The baby is with its mother. She's in trouble with Maj Kulla, but, you know. Yeah. Do they really have to go after it? But I guess if they assume that they have to, the the point of this is, yeah, maybe it's a trap, but we got to do the right thing. 
Yep. It's dumb, but it's Star Trek. Uh, I gave it six. Oh, all right. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's not the worst part of this episode. This really seemed to be about telling an action story primarily. Um, I don't think they were really concentrating on a premise. But early on, before all of the action stuff starts to happen, I guess it was about weighing family versus duty. Chakotay had to decide what was more important, the safety of the crew or of his child that his spirit dad told him he had to go save. Um, yeah. You could do this in almost any setting to some extent. It works fine in this one. The, the stakes are high just because of the possible capture or destruction of Voyager. Um, again, the death of Chakotay's kid doesn't really move the needle because we all know that baby. But um, I thought it was a four... Okay. Like I said, I think across the board, I was not high on takes this week. Yeah. Well, I'm up two on each of the two takes so far, so maybe. Ben is uh, sitting in here at a four also, saying family responsibilities are important, but he acknowledges that it's a plot device to make this showdown happen. Oh, we were totally on the same page on that one. Yeah, it seems like you totally were. He's a five for execution, by the way. Uh, He says at least it's an interesting hook with the Seska baby. He doesn't love all the daytime dramas, but but uh, this is more interesting than the usual. He's not into the dream sequence slash whatever. Mm. And then um, he doesn't understand why they had to make it that Seska stole his DNA since, since they, they were, were lovers fucking. previously. But I think they'd already introduced that in an earlier episode. Yes. I think they just couldn't help it because of the timeline. Like she left, was gone for a while. And then he mentions that there's a sequence where... The doctor is floating in space screaming, which you left out and sucks. Uh, (laughs) It's a bad attempt at comedy. And uh, I agree. That was not great. But he's a five across the board execution wise. They were like, oh, this episode's um, so it's got so many stakes and it's so serious. We should do something funny. So when they're going to turn on their hollow warships, the doctor says they should test it one more time. And Balana is... um, very much against that for plot reasons. And yep. uh, so they haven't tested it the final time. And when they turn it on, he gets fucking uh, projected out into space. Yeah. And yeah, it's not that funny. It's not funny. It's not good green screen. It's just not great across the board. Um, where are you on execution? I actually like how this episode progressed. I mean, okay, so Voyager's finally presented with an enemy that's smarter than they are. Yep. <laughs> Not technologically superior or possessing of some band-aid plot ace in the hole. By the way, it's not Kulla, it's Seska, yeah, but she Kulla. at least is a Cardassian intelligence officer, right? Like yeah. yeah, she's just smarter, and that's always fun to see. Um It makes sense that they're overmatched. Uh Janeway's equivalent is Tuvok. <laughs> that's true. He's not amazing. God, I always forget he was a spy. <laughs> Must have been terrible. Um, so the stakes are high, and that works for a cliffhanger. Uh, I didn't think there was much premise to deliver on. Um, and then, of course, the villain gives them a fighting chance instead of summarily executing them. Why? Yeah. He's already been shown to be, like, a murderous dictator, so other yeah, than Yeah, I didn't plot, understand why he didn't just space them. Yeah, other than for plot reasons. In-universe, I don't know why he would put them on that planet. Um, overall, the episode held my attention, and... I thought it was well-paced. I gave it a six. Okay, interesting. So we're flipsies here. I'm a four. Okay. Um, 
this episode is very similar to the back half of the Vidian plot from last week. They're running into a possible trap and preparing as well as they can for it. Yeah. Last week they were successful, right, against the Vidians. Um, two big weaknesses in this episode. This vision of Chakotay's woof. that goes entirely unexplained. Yeah, woof. Like, if this is all supposed to be information Chakotay has inside of him, like if this is just his mind and this is his little vision quest and maybe he used that weird device that he showed to Janeway. Yep. Then fine, but we could also have just had him explain his thinking instead of making us watch this fucking thing. Yeah, well, I don't really know what was the deal with Ghost Dad. And then another big problem is the fact that nobody gives a shit about this Kazon's weird blood. Yeah, the like the doctor like... keeps saying he's got too many red blood cells. I don't get it. He shouldn't. And Chikote's like, what? Yeah. What fuck are you talking about? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. We have. Real and then problems. he dude blows himself up. Yeah. Um. And again, I don't like you. I don't understand why Kala is interested in an ironic punishment instead of just space and the whole crew. Yeah. The only thing I could think would be if Seska somehow manipulated this in case, in case, in case she, she needs, needs to turn on him. Yeah. Right. Um, but on the whole, I think uh, execution-wise, this is a little weak, so I gave it a four. Okay. Um, ben gave it a five. We already mentioned. Okay. Um, world building. Uh, I am right at the standard three here. The uh, we have the Kazon defense nets and their command codes, and that seemed oddly sophisticated for these trash pirates. Yeah. Uh, holographic decoys, whatever Chicote's vision quest is. Uh, the Talaxians as allies is an interesting wrinkle that has not been earned. It's just based on the fact that they have one on board. They have Neelix on board. Yeah, well, we'll we'll fight for Neelix. Right, exactly. But we haven't seen other Talaxian ships. Not really. Or had any reason to believe that Voyager has good relations with the Talaxians in general. But they're going to try to call the Talaxians in to help them out against the Kazon Nistrum? Yeah. Why? Anyway, standard three. Um, let's see. Not sure they could ignore the serial killer under house arrest. I keep saying he's a serial killer. Yes, he I'm is not... a serial killer. He just only killed one person on Voyager. But he but he had killed others. Yes, he had killed okay. others. Right. I thought I'd remember that, but I wasn't I couldn't remember any of the evidence. Um so anyway, I'm not sure they could just ignore that, the writers. Um him under house arrest just sitting there forever. So I'm not sure I can give him extra points for him showing up again. Right? Like not even a Star Trek show could ignore that, right? Yeah, one thing you didn't mention, I think, is that the Doctor is still on board Voyager at the end, and Suter is in the vents. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so it le- it's obviously cliffhanger. Doctor uh, turned himself off for 12 hours and then turns back on before the episode ends. So he'll be, we'll have to see Insurgent Doctor, probably. Yeah, um, though he can't leave sickbay, so that's going to be tough. It, I don't think it's technically clear that Suter is still on board, or did you see him in the vent? Oh, you see him in the vent at the okay. end. So, yeah, Suter's still on board, so that'll... He's probably going to get a chance to contribute to the mission. Um, and then there's also the uh, the question of what happened to Paris out there in his show. That's right. So those are the, th- the non-dinosaur planet threats. Although Seska is not willing to assume, as Kulla does, that Paris was destroyed. Yeah, she orders a full search or whatever. But the fact that there's a shuttle missing means that they probably think Suter was also on the shuttle. Because presumably they don't know that Suter was a serial killer. 
because that happened after she after she left. So they did have that spy for a while. I don't know when it all went That's down. That's a good point. Maybe they should. Anyway, we'll talk about it later. But yeah. the problem is Seska knows too much to not know about the doctor. Oh, yeah. I think she will probably go right to sickbay and say, uh, activate emergency medical hologram, and yeah. then approach it that way. Um, so anyway, even a Star Trek show couldn't ignore that guy being there. So I don't, I'm not going to give him points for that. Um, echo displacement, hollow images of other ships. Can we talk about this? Yeah. Is this something that we will ever see again? It's a good question. The reason I ask is because... Do you count Star Trek Online? <laughs> um... So that happens in Star Trek Online? Eh, if, you, if you play a science character, you can generate a photonic fleet. Uh, the reason I ask is because, you know how in the holodeck, if the safeties are off, these guys are real. Yes. So it's not like you're just projecting an image of a ship. If you could get your projectors to work, you could just project a ship, right? Maybe. They discuss some power issues. Okay. Um, they don't discuss uh, that it is patently impossible right. for a ship to contain enough power to generate another entire ship. But I, I guess you would only have to generate the outside. That's right. That's right. Or any of the components you need to work, I guess. But what they generate doesn't seem to be real interactive. Well, the Kazon fire at them, but I don't think those ships fire back. No, but when the Kazon fire at them, they do register as solid. The beams hit them and don't go through them. Yeah, that is interesting. But that could be a force field. It could be like a shield, right? Yeah, so they would still have to have a shield, though. Yeah, which Voyager might also be generating. Well, either way, if you could generate a real ship, just like you can generate a Cyrus Red Block, um, maybe that's a good way to to beef up your fleet or something. Yeah, seems like Voyager is a little bit ahead of Starfleet on this one, maybe because they've had to deal with the Doctor yeah. for so many months or whatever. Uh, nitrogen tetroxide? Um... I got another question we got to talk about here. How does Star Trek combat work with the shields? They always sustain damage, even when the shields are holding, or even when they claim the shields are undamaged. Yeah. That first raider doesn't damage their shields, but a number of systems go offline. Yeah. So what do the shields do? It's why are they very there? troublesome. Um, because even... Even in as early as TOS, it's quite clear that the ship has some physical impacts happen to it while the shields are up. Yeah. The ship shakes around. Yes, that's true. So the, whatever force is being dissipated into the shields affects the ship in some way. Right. Um, however, increasingly more and more damage can happen with shields up as we go through the series. Yeah. I mean, they literally declare undamaged the shields, but systems yeah. are offline. And you just go, all right, okay. They don't seem to be much better than Enterprise's polarized hull. <laughs> That's right. They don't. Um, Cardassian tactics employed by Seska's group. A classic Cardassian echelon, in fact. Um, yeah. Janeway finally references that they don't have unlimited photon torpedoes. Uh, Kazon guy does some prayer or something before blowing himself up. Yep. This hints at some kind of faith-based sacrifice or something, and it's kind of interesting to see it in those heady pre-9-11 days of Voyager. Yeah, there's a lot of meditation in this episode. 
Yeah. So we start with Tuvork and Suter, mm-hmm. and they do a whole meditation. Yeah. Chakotay does kind of a meditation. To see Ghost Dad. To see Ghost Dad. Bill Cosby himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy is doing something prayer or meditation-like before he blows himself up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Suter is seen doing it during the battle, too. Yeah, it could be. So there's a lot of that going on in this one. Yeah. Uh, the way auto-destruct is achieved in the ship systems has to do with the secondary power whatever. Command uh, processors. Command processors, there you go. Uh, standard alpha search pattern when they're on the planet with the dinosaurs. I thought there was a lot there without anything universe-altering. Um, just like a lot of small details, I gave it a four. You know what, you talked me up. I also think it's a four. And a lot of that stuff I didn't make note of. And Ben gave two points for world building. Apparently, Apparently you can just take someone's DNA and impregnate yourself, so any skin cells, etc. are a fair game. We're actually not that far from that now. Yeah. Is my guess. Uh, Characterization, I'll do Ben's first. He gave it a five. Creepy dude Suter is here again, but now he's a changed man. Sort of. He has a moment where he loses his temper with Jane. Yeah, he's clearly not 100% there. Yeah. He's hanging on. Uh, Beltran praying to his gods for guidance. Um, he says Chakotay's a bitch. He's got to ask his dad for guidance, but that advice is basically put away your uh, heat big <laughs> vagina and man up. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I wasn't going to read that, but good, good on you. <laughs> it's, it's good. I mean, he... Um, it is kind of like when uh, Jordy and Riker come to Picard and they demand to get rid of Barkley. Yep, and Picard's like, what? Just Deal fucking with it. Um, man Just up. Just fucking go do your job. Go go teach him how to be a good officer. That's why you're here. Um, I gave it as much as a six in characterization. Um, uh. Suter gets, gets to do characterization now. He qualifies. He wants to contribute to the mission. He still has some crazy anger issues, though. And yeah, he's, he's hiding up in those vents at the end. Um... Tuvok still visits this guy. Is that because of their connection through the meld? Or would Tuvork do this kind of counseling for every killer in the brig? It's hard to say, but there is some evidence that Tuvok kind of acts as the ship's counselor here. He has which been helping is Kess. odd, but the doctor is clearly unqualified. <laughs> yes. Well, unless you got your feet out there, he'll, eh, he'll go to he'll town on those. <laughs> um, he'll chow down on those nasty feet, for sure. Um... <laughs> It is a it is a good question, and it if they had devoted more time to it, and there was room to make cuts in this one. Mm-hmm. For instance, the doctor didn't need to be in space. Yep. Uh, I would have liked to have seen how the meld is still affecting Tuvok. Yeah, if he we're going to bring up Suter, let's yeah. see, because he went batshit crazy. Yeah. After that meld, so. Be nice to know what was going on. Yeah, what is Tuvork's long-term health like after that? Um, at least Janeway's realistic and knows this is probably going to be a trap. But then, again, she refuses to do the captaining and says it's completely Chakotay's choice what to do with it. Yeah. Uh, Chakotay's angry about being asked for child support. His spirit animal is now his dad. Janeway's dumb and thinks it has to be a monkey or an ocelot or something, but nah, it can be a human man, and that seems like a better choice. Uh, Chakotay doesn't even bother coming up with an operational plan. Like I said, he just leaves it to everyone else to do his thing. Then he spends the rest of the episode pushing people up against walls and stuff. He's pretty grumpy. 
Yeah, he's not he's not having it with Tierna, but I guess Tierna punched him or something when he was captured. <laughs> he punched him a lot in that Nog episode or whatever yeah. it was. It was not that one, but it was probably the second one. Uh, it was one of those. He's he spent some time with the Kazons. It was right? one of those ones where he's captured by the Kazons. Yeah. Not the one where Paris was captured by the Kazons and had to do a computer God, crime. There's been so many where they they need to just get out of this part of the fucking quadrant. We're we're about to be done with the Kazons, right? Like this is I basically just, the end of the run with the Kazons. I fucking hope so. We've done a year and a half of this nonsense. <sighs> Maybe we should just leave. Seska still utilizes the ancient arts of strategy rather than hollow ships and sensor echoes. Misinformation. Always been weapon number one, and she pulls a bunch of fat ones on them. Yep. Even though they're suspicious, they still completely fall prey. Yeah, guess- they're suspicious, but they like they stop, I think, as soon as it becomes... Like, they get attacked, I think, three times. Yeah. And the first two times taking damage in that area could be a coincidence. Yeah. And as soon as it happens the third time, they're like, nah, this ain't right. Yep. But it's too late at that point. But it's already too late for them. So I guess she's some kind of military genius or something. She should have been a legate, not a spy. She really should have, because she has pulled off here... Uh, she's pulled off a Leyte Golf. Yeah. They have done a big trap. Mm-hmm. And, vo- and Janeway, basically Chakotay did a Halsey. And he went after him. And the, they were able to capitalize on it. But unlike that Japanese commander of the center fleet, they didn't turn around and leave. <laughs> they didn't completely fucking lose their shit when they were going into some escort carriers. Right. Exactly. What's happening? <laughs> um... But she goes even deeper because she pull again. She pulls a red cliff, dude. She straight up sends a dude out there to get the fire ship plan to work. Yeah, and this guy, this was a suicide mission. Voyager yeah. shows up an hour later; he's dead. That's right. Voyager, uh, I guess, open question: if he somehow convinces them not to go after Seska, if he does, does he blow himself well. up anyway? But does he go do it by like the warp core? Yeah, it isn't gonna like. What if he's like his plan works too well, where he's like, I wouldn't go there, and they go, Yeah, you're right, we're not gonna go. We yeah. go. Well, I mean. If you if you want to go, like he's like here's the narrow corridor you'll have to snake through to avoid all the nets and shit. And they're like, uh, nah, it's yeah. a trap. It's only one baby. We're okay. Yeah, even if it's not a trap, we're not gonna make it through that corridor. <laughs> yeah. Then he'd have to fucking change course. Actually, I've been thinking about it. It's not that hard. You guys could probably do it. I think. Hold on, I gotta go bust off one of my toenails, and then I'd like a tour of engineering if that's possible. <laughs> um. Paris, I guess, is pretty familiar with Cardi battle tactics. He's the one who calls out her standard Cardassian echelon. Um, it probably gets taught at the Academy. When uh, Nick Locarno was at the Academy, the Cardassian War had just wrapped up. And since we know they're the same person. Since he's clearly meant to be the same individual. Yep. Um, again, Balana weirdly, just for plot reasons, refuses, absolutely refuses the additional systems check before trying the hollow emitters. <laughs> yep. Um, they still try to make color. By the way, a reminder that you gave it a six for characterization. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I read the whole thing and I go, oh, that was all bad. Um, Balana. Okay. Uh, sorry. They still try to make color shittier by making him primarily sexist. Yep. That's his main deal. It's like, he's going to, but don't worry. They're going to show how he's still taking orders from Seska. <laughs> yeah. He's such a bumbling idiot. I don't even know why they don't need him for the plot. No. They, should have, they really just should have had Seska take over the whole operation, but maybe that's going to be what happens in episode two, is that yeah. their relationship falls apart and that's how Voyager wins or whatever. Um, so, a lot of work being done. Um, 
without an episode resolution to ruin it all. Yes, I think that's really what it is. Because normally we're going to get a resolution from these hack writers that is going to shit on everything that maybe has been started. Yeah, it's just going to be like, and nobody learned anything. Yeah, so maybe this is the key. Just show us the development and then leave out the terrible resolution that you wrote. And then I'll give you more points. Because I just went, oh, I was fine. Everyone was pretty good. I like Seska. Seska seems like the best character on the show. Um, so I gave, gave it a six. Yeah, and uh, I gave it as many as five. Okay. So um, Janeway refused to endanger Voyager for the sake of her life in Chakotay's last week. But now it's his call whether to go after this baby. That seems inconsistent. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I understand Chakotay. He doesn't trust Tirna to the point where he's choking him. Yeah. But he just leaves Schmollis's blood hint on the floor. Oh, yeah. Well, like he, he does a Riker when Riker's talking to Kaczynski, where he's like, I'm going to make you explain it to me. And then, and then he Kaczynski it starts goes, explaining. He's like, okay. fuck, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Let's do it. <laughs> it's probably going to be fine. Just do it. Um, If he's internally conflicted and it's affecting his job, show that somehow. But having said those two things, nothing really felt out of place. I was just, I felt like this was more or less down the middle in terms of characterization. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a five. And we already gave Ben, so what about quick ones? Uh, Ben wonders if they're doing a pro-life argument here. Because they're going to go after that baby? But it's not clear the baby's life is in danger. I mean, it's going to go be a slave or whatever, I guess. Yeah, this is kind of a question of... Do you accept a baby as yours even if you didn't want it? And I'm not sure that's a pro-life argument necessarily, but it has some overtones for sure. He also wonders why the doctor can't just set it to make him reappear when everyone's left instead of setting a 12-hour timer. Yeah, and then there's like six dudes in there when he pops back on. Yeah. Yeah, that would be bad. Uh, I was just going to say, there are... I don't know, multiple ways in this episode what Cis- what I almost said Cisco, what Chakotay went through is compared to rape. Which feels... Like it minimizes rape? Yeah, it feels off a little bit. Yeah. Yes, he uh, his DNA was taken without his permission, and we've seen in TNG you can just kill the result. We haven't seen that. it yet. I mean, we are going to see it in if TNG. See Hold on. That you can, that if someone makes a clone of you without your permission, you can zap them to maybe, into oblivion. Maybe we'll see that in two weeks. Let's you, say we might see that in two weeks. You can make you can make those people fade away into oblivion. Um. So I get that. I get that you're not supposed to steal someone's DNA, but he didn't really go through anything. It just suddenly she had a baby that she claims is his. It's just a thing that she's been telling him about how I've got your baby that he doesn't know is true. It's even. like if when a woman was raped, she didn't ever know anything about it. Someone just went around going, hey, I raped you. Yep. Sort of like, it's sort of like that. But um, Chakotay's dad compares it to rape and then... Um, and Ben is suggesting also that there's a, a parallel there. Anyway. Um, quick hitters. Is there anything I didn't say already? Yeah, that's always the tough one. How does the doctor <laughs> expect to hide? Seska knows about him. Uh, Suitor, too. Thank God the Kazons just looked with their eyes instead of using a tricorder or something. Was the, at that point, was the ship still too mangled? Because at some point, they're going to get everything back online. Yeah, at some point, the sensors will be working, and they'll be like, there's a dude crawling around. 
We got uh, some sort of Betazoid or something? The intruder alert has triggered. Turns out there's a Betazoid dude crawling around in there. Yeah. Um, Kala's defense nets and command codes seemed like a plot convenience to force them into this box canyon they're going to fly through. I don't believe it's real even in-universe. <laughs> it's just a lie. Yeah, I think that's just a straight lie. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, isn't it Harry Kim who calls it up? Oh. He just he needs the command codes to call up the locations or something, but uh, like he's clearly tapping into something. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think I interrupted you enough when you were describing it that I've said everything I needed to say. I gave best actor in this one to Janeway and worst to uh, Tierna. I didn't find him compelling. Janeway does seem um, stoic in the face of absolutely getting her ass handed to her. Yeah. Just losing this fight a hundred ways. Yeah, she 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 went over in this episode. She really did. This is a real golden sombrero for her. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I got a couple. There's never any screening process for throwing something up on the main viewer. Now everybody has to see this shit about Chakotay's baby mama drama. Oh, uh, this is a good. This is very true. Like, what does a communications officer even do? I feel like Uhura would not have yeah. put this shit. Uhura's on got the, the earpiece, and she go, she talks to the person first, and then she goes, uh, no, Commodore, we'll, we'll, we'll pipe this one to the captain's quarters. Yeah, and she'll, she'll be like, Commodore, what's his name, is asking about this. And then Kirk will just tell her what to say. You know? That's a good point. They do just fucking put it up on screen all the time. Yeah, at Voyager, they're just like, oh, we're getting a call, put it on the big one. Put it on the big one. And then it's fucking, I've got your baby! And it's, it's just a, like, oh boy. It's a. Uh, your urologist is calling? Nah, put it up there. <laughs> Throw it on the big one. I want to see him big. Oh, my dick's ruined? Okay. Oh, boy. That's, uh... Hey, you guys mangled, didn't see that. you say. You guys didn't Ma- mangled. see Mangled. Huh. You said it, uh... So, all right, we're, uh, we're gonna all agree that uh, nobody heard that. You didn't hear the part where he said I suffer from stinky dick? <laughs> it's not... not oh, it's not even real? That's not real? That's clearly not even a real thing, so even if you told them, they wouldn't believe you. Um... And again, I'll never not mention that Chakotay's dad is Zoro's dad, and that Chakotay must be Zoro, therefore. I mean, oh man, alright, so it would explain why Chakotay is such a wet fart. <laughs> if he's got a secret identity that's doing stuff all over the ship that we never see, and everyone's that's like... True. just like Don Diego! And it's like, well, he's I, he does seem to have half of Chakotay's tattoo above his mask, <laughs> but Chakotay's such a wet fart, <laughs> there's no... The idea that it could be Chakotay doing all this cool shit is laughable. That is a really good point, because Don Diego can't get the pussy. Because no, no, the fucking... Uh, the, the idea, of, like, the idea of Don Diego having a sword is a big joke constantly <laughs> in Zorro. They're like, yeah, he's got a sword, but come on, Don Diego? <laughs> yeah, fuck. All right. I'll put that in theory corner. Um, uh, this is the best, but there will never be any evidence to, to prove it. <laughs> uh, not a fan of the toenail pulling. Thank you, Star Trek. Um, yeah, I didn't love that either. I comforted myself by saying that was a fake toenail that he had installed. I think that's, I think that's a good way to do it. And he didn't just break his actual toenail off. How will they survive in the harsh lands of just outside L.A.? It's a very good question. There's dinosaurs like, out there. We need to find water. There's fucking scrub everywhere. It's <laughs> like, uh, all these plants are surviving. It's clearly... There's a source. There's going to be some water somewhere. You do have to find it. That is true. But there's good reason to believe there's water. Um, and as for shelter, I can already see caves. That's right. Exactly. They're right over there. Just go that way. They were actually Just really go nice. go to the cave. They dropped you off right next to the caves. 
don't don't drink all your medicinal drisky, but <laughs> go check it out. Also, we're at, are we going caving with Neelix again next week? Oh, for sure. It'll be caving. With oh my god, on this dinosaur planet, they're gonna find a baby dinosaur again. Oh, I fucking hope so. I love this. Um, but what uh, I don't love. The fucking thumbnail for next week bums me out, but it also is interesting. I was going to say, what I don't love is the promise of having to spend time with Insurgent Doctor and Messenger Tom Paris. Those are not characters I want to be alone with. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all I had. Cool, cool. Number three. Uh, That's two in the bag. Let's move on to uh, last week's middle place, last week's number three. Which was the next generation. This week we watched Q Who? Q Who? Q Q Who? What's the pun that they're Mm. doing here? Is it Q Who like You Who? It must be like You Who because otherwise that's not really wordplay. This week we watched Q Who? Sonia Gomez. Yeah. Spills some hot chocolate on Captain Picard. And when he goes to change, he ends up in a shuttlecraft with Q. Thank you for cutting away from the ship. I'm so glad you cut through that because that scene was like seven minutes long and I didn't understand why. Uh, Jordy takes his flighty ensign to 10 forward to calm down and she talks about how Enterprise is going to be the first ship to encounter whatever's out here. Hmm. But also in 10 forward, Guinan has a strange feeling and calls to the bridge to ask if, uh, if anything's up. Yeah. Like what the deal is. Her spidey sense is very tingly. Uh, Riker kind of half blows it off, but uh, Jordy takes Guinan's weirdness a little more seriously. He and, flies uh, to engineering. <laughs> just heads to engineering right away. Yeah. About which time, Troy notices that Picard is missing, and this Riker takes seriously. Yeah. So they start searching for uh, Picard's missing shuttle, but... Uh, about six hours later, Picard just solves the mystery by agreeing that he'll hear out Q on whatever his dumb proposal is if he returns him to the ship. Right. So they beam into a now empty 10 forward. I assume Q displaced everyone who was there. Probably. Unless Guinan probably, was He probably put them so all weird. in their individual toilets, like in their individual bathrooms <laughs> on the toilet. That He's like kind Q. of a trickster. Either that or Guinan was so uh, weirded out by what was happening that she just made yeah, She everyone sent everyone leave. home. Yeah. She's Close like, we're early. She put on closing time by Semisonic so everyone would know to leave. That's right. Um, Q and Guinan have a little standoff that asks a thousand questions and answers none of them. Right. Like, what is a Guinan? Like, what is a Guinan? Mm -hmm. And uh, when Riker and Worf show up, he gets to the punch and reveals that he has been expelled from the Continuum. Right. And that he wishes to take his place among the crew. Uh, that sort of makes sense. Last time we saw him, he did appear to be screaming for the other cues to um, leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah. Last time after he did real bad on the with the mariachis and whatever. After all the mariachis. Yeah. Wait, no, no, wait, wait, wait. No, mariachis, mariachis after, is next season. After Riker did bad with the gifts. After Riker. After Riker fucking blew it on the gifts. Tried to give Worf a sex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Q, Q's big claim is that they're not prepared for what awaits them. And since he basically has all the powers, because the Q didn't take those from him, yeah, uh, he can help them. And Picard says, nah, even if we're not prepared for what awaits us, we're out here to meet it. Sounds pretty reasonable, the way he says it. 
he, you know, he, he does have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, I, I think. As I he, didn't get the feeling it was a big boast. He wasn't out there no. like, man, fuck you and fuck your uh, crazy universe. I'm going to, if anything comes up here, I'm going to smack it in the mouth. No, He's like, but that is how Q takes it. Yes, that's exactly how Q takes it. Because he snaps his fucking fingers and flings the ship to system J-25, like 7,000 light years away, mm-hmm. to show them what awaits them. Yeah. And Picard asks Guinan, because her people have been in this part of the galaxy, what to do. And she says, go back. Yeah, go back home. She says, Just start going back. You're two years away from the nearest starbase. Start going back home now. She says, in fact, um, I don't want to give you any spoilers. Yeah. So I'm not going to be more specific than that. I can't tell you why, but... You might watch leave. this episode next week. I don't want to give it away. You should go home. Yeah. Uh, however, unlike every other time someone tries this ploy on Picard, where they're like, aren't we invest? Aren't we explorers? Shouldn't we explore? This time he's like, no, nah, we should. Yeah. You know what? I always say, we'll worry about it later. Let's head home. Yeah. But this time, let's stick around. There's a, there's a big square out there. What is it? They find a wrecked up old Class M planet, and immediately they're like, hey, this is what happened on the Romulan neutral zone last year. Ooh, we're settling old Do you remember here. when it wasn't the Romulans? Yeah. It's this old thing, whatever this is. And all of a sudden, an enormous cubic ship appears. Yeah. And it's weird. It, it has is a weird. weird. It has a weird generalized design. Also, it's a huge cube. No yeah. one says anything about that. No, they're like, I ain't seen one of those. Where's its big old nacelles? Huh. How does it... Anything. Yeah. Um, so they start... Of course, they try to talk to it. It gives them no answer. They uh, call Guinan up, and she's like, uh, we call this thing the Borg, and uh-huh. it wiped out my whole civilization. Yeah. So, one of these boys appears in engineering and uh, starts scanning shit. Jordy calls everybody down. Yeah, Q he shows like up a, to talk about them, and he's like, aren't these guys weird? He looks like one of the guys from Mad Max Fury Road with a lot of plastic stuff all over him. Yeah. Like if he had a bad super glue accident in the junk pile. <laughs> that's right. Just fell right into it, all covered in glue. Oh, God, that's bad oh. luck. God, I'm so sticky. Oh, no. Oh, boy. There's just stuff all over. Oh, it's all over oh, my eye. Just glued all to my eye and hand. I can't see out of this eye. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm going to tell everyone I did it on purpose. I don't want I look like an idiot. And I'll just quietly try to solve this problem at home by myself. Yeah. Uh, Picard goes for round two of diplomacy, trying to talk to this uh, weird drone. Mm-hmm. And it uh, doesn't even doesn't even acknowledge him. Doesn't even look at him. No, it gives a security guy a good push. Yeah. Uh, and then it starts zapping one of the consoles, and that's not allowed. So uh, Worf kills it. Yeah. And... Uh, Really, not much happens. Another one beams in, starts doing the exact same thing. Now it's got a shield that Worf can't shoot through. Yeah, Worf, by the way, felt really satisfied killing that first one because he really wanted to take a swing at Q earlier. Yeah. So he was getting some uh, aggression. Q was not cool about it. No, he wasn't cool about his reunion with Worf. Um, and, uh... And then it finishes whatever it's doing, and it beams out and takes the dead body away, etc. Conference room time. Guinan describes them as an enemy that can't be reasoned with. It does nothing piecemeal, and it wiped out her whole system. Mm-hmm. So I guess you don't have to treat them nice, is what she's saying. Like, don't bother. <laughs> I think don't that be is nice what she's to saying. them. These yeah. guys suck. 
They make contact and uh, announce that the Enterprise is incapable of defending itself, and if they try, they're going to be punished. And uh, Troy pipes up and says that they are a collective intelligence. Hmm. Uh, let's see. They get the Enterprise in a tractor beam. Yeah. Enterprise can't break out. Their phasers are not doing anything. And the Borg cut a nice core out of the saucer section. Yeah, they core it up real good. Just take away a big core of the saucer section covering, I don't know, three decks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, apparently 18 people are missing, presumed dead. That's a lot for TNG. Uh, Enterprise fires all of it. Just fires all <laughs> yes. of their weapons, which apparently they didn't do before. No. And they break the tractor beam and cripple the ship. Yeah. So that's pretty good. But instead of leaving right away, Picard has another conference. Yep. While uh, Jordy and Sonia Gomez are working on the shields and talking about 18 people, 18 people. Uh, Q comes in and tells them the Borg are the ultimate consumers. They don't want political power. They only want resources. They, they don't care about anything else. CDs and rock and roll t-shirts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, Riker says, you know what? If we're going to have to deal with these guys, we should see what they're up to. So he takes a very small away mission, just Data and Worf over there to learn about the Borg while they can. Yeah. Exploring Riker. Yep. Um, they find a few a few active drones walking around who don't care. The rest are kind of sleeping in their little nooks. They find a Borg nursery so everyone can be creeped out about a little Borg baby. And uh, then Data figures out that the ship is fixing itself, and so they beam back and start making for home at warp 8. But exactly at that moment, the Borg ship powers up and starts coming after them. Mm -hmm. Now the hull is visibly repairing itself. Yeah, it's actually kind of a cool effect for 1980-whatever. Picard calls for maximum warp, and the ship goes past warp 9.6, but the Borg are keeping up without any trouble. And uh, Q appears to taunt Picard one more time, tell him he's outmatched. Their photon torpedoes do nothing. They're out of shields. They're forced out of warp. Uh, Picard's going to fire those torpedoes again, but without shields at that range, it's going to blow up the ship. But, so, but you know, they're still going to do it. But before they do that, Picard's going to have to swallow his pride and tell Q he needs him. Yeah. And Q clicks his fingers again, and they go right back where they came from. And then Q tells him, hey, space is uh, unsafe, and fucks right off. Yeah. Oh, and Picard's Picard, like, hey, those 18 people, though, like, they're, hey, they're back, we right? didn't need to kill those people to learn this lesson. And he's like, don't come, don't be in space. Yeah. You knew what you were getting into when you came out into space. Mm -hmm. I told you to go back to your own star system immediately. Uh, back in episode one. 40 episodes ago. Yeah. And uh, so Picard heads out to the nearest starbase to repair the ship and has a little 3D chess game with Guinan talking about how the Borg know about the Federation and they're going to be coming for him. Yeah, they lay it pretty heavy on the end there. They're like, um, we we wrapped up some old mysteries and um, watch out for these guys in the future. What um, What's their take here? This is one of those times where it's made entirely clear what the take is because one of the characters won't stop talking about it, which I always really like because I don't have to sit here and rack my brain all about it. Uh, Q tells them the entire time. Um, it's a fine line between ambition and arrogance. 
right? Like, humans are like, we're just going to be the best we possibly can. We're going to be the fucking bosses out here. But maybe they're a little overconfident. Yeah. I guess is what the take is. Um, And because they made it so clear, it's an 8. Mm. It's just a more thought-provoking take would have got them a 10 for sheer clarity. I see. <laughs> so you didn't like having to think about shit this week. And no. you were like, oh, got it, got it. We're locked <laughs> in here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sort of agree. So I wrote, uh, humanity may have risen to the top of the local food chain, but it's a big universe out there. So stay humble. That's right. The Here's my trouble with this take. Mm. I couldn't place it as a parallel for any specific thing happening on Earth in 1989. Do you know is, what I mean? Is it not a United States thing? Because the Martians you, are out there. United States versus aliens? Yeah, the Martians are coming, mm. and you better watch out. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Really, the trouble with that. I don't really know. Um, so I didn't find it widely applicable. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it particularly, but at the end of the day, I thought this was a four. Okay. Right. And um, Ben has it as an uh, A6. Okay, splits, splits the difference. You just wake up from your hubris. So yeah, we're all, we're all on the same page. The idea here is about arrogance. Yeah. Uh, he's a seven on execution. Okay. Um, he liked the ball bouncing scene in the shuttle because it's like the great escape. Uh he liked having Guinan break up the info on the Borg into multiple conferences, okay. etc. Uh, he liked the weird nursery scene that I talked about. With the Borg babies. And he liked having 18 people die because it raises the stakes. It is a I, lot for TNG, for sure. I have the execution here at a 7. Okay. I thought the tension was kept pretty high throughout the show. Yeah, I think the fact that Q boasted that they were going to run into something real nasty makes it so that you have to take the threat serious from the beginning. Right. There's like, no point in this little thing. So, like, Q didn't think they were going to understand what happened at Farpoint. Yeah. That's and true. he was wrong about that. Yeah. So it is possible that this would just be another episode where Q's <laughs> like, you guys are you guys are too dumb to be out here. And Picard's like, we're not that dumb. However, that, that what would mystery. be the point of doing that again? Yeah, that mystery wasn't that difficult. And he did also hang out the whole time and give them hints, which I thought yeah, was weird. He did keep helping them. <laughs> I also thought the idea that Guinan has some strange power is interesting. And I also thought it's not this show's fault that it doesn't get treated consistently later on. Yeah, you I can't blame no one seems to care. Yeah. Uh, I thought that, uh, so Sonia Gomez is obviously a parallel for Picard here, mm. a, a parallel for humanity. Like she's super excited about what's out there. And then yeah. she's going to, she's going to get a little wake up call when all those people are killed. Right. And that's filmmaking one one Yeah. Is to have a person who's representing the main thing. The only problem with that is what does it make Jordy? Q. <laughs> is he a parallel for Q? I wrote, I don't know. and then I wrote, I don't think so. Because what? Would, because what does that mean? <laughs> and I thought having the Borg as a new kind of enemy. So, Q tells him the Borg are not like the Romulans and the Klingons. They're not like these enemies that you've dealt with before. Yeah, I think that it is a parallel with the end of the Cold War. Mm. Is the idea of introducing a new the kind undiscovered country? of enemy. It's a little bit of undiscovered country work going on here. Okay. Except that that's about how you're going to have to learn to live with your former enemies, right? Yeah, peace. 
and and what do you do in terms of peace? Yeah. And this is more about because the Borg aren't uh, interested in power. This is not going to be a political enemy. This is some kind of existential threat, and it might be consumerism. It might mm. be unsustainable environmental practices. Like it's not a hundred percent clear what the Borg are supposed to represent. Yeah, but it's saying sort of saying uh, there are behaviors or aspects of humanity that are a worse threat to us than the Cold War was. Yeah. Um, so I think that is a, sort of a fun parallel to have in here. So again, I'm a seven on execution. Okay. By the way, I hate this episode. Really? Yeah, I hate Q. Uh, and well, so I hate Q too. He's queuing it up all throughout this thing. He does get those 18 people killed for no reason. Yeah. Picard's maybe a little arrogant, but not really that arrogant. So it's kind of just Q being an asshole. Oh, yes, it is. It's 100% that. Yeah. Q's an asshole, which is why later on when he's treated as like the the impish, uh, like, oh, Q's in town. It's going to be a zany adventure. You just go, uh, you know, he introduced us to the Borg. You know, you got all those people killed, right? Well, because then the Borg goes straight for Earth. Yep. So then you get 10,000 more dead. Well, and here's probably why the Borg goes straight for Earth. Q fucked that ship right out of there. The Borg have no idea what just happened. Yeah, that's they right. know that this ship damaged their cube can pretty considerably. And then... And then had some weird way of escaping afterwards. Yeah, it just blinked out. They've got to be interested in that technology. Yeah. So that's why when he's like turning him into Robin Hood and shit, and and they're having all these adventures, and it's like, what is he just one of the gang now? Like, what's I'm happening? Here, I'm here to teach you to lighten up, Picard. I'm <laughs> one of the three ghosts <laughs> that's gonna teach you to fucking have human relationships. It's just like he's he's and not to regret your past decisions. He ruined the Federation. It's okay. Anyway, um, yeah. Q does indeed prove humanity is not ready for all of the wonders of the galaxy, but I'm not sure we get a satisfying explanation for why he's doing this. Yeah. In the beginning, he says he wants to join the crew. And then, rebuffed, he sends them all on this adventure. You'd think his price for saving them in the end would be the original arrangement, where he joins the crew, but he has no interest in that. He just gives them some words of advice, and then he leaves. Yep. He's not like, so now I get to be on the crew, right? Because I proved... Yeah, no, he's Did just like, me? well, I'm done what I was going to do here. Yeah, it's like, so what was this shit in the beginning about how he wanted to be on the crew? Where'd that go? Uh, this episode is scary and full of stakes, right? Uh, like you said, the tension is kept up you know, throughout the whole episode. It doesn't feel like a TNG episode. No. Uh, and it even ends on that dark note. You get Q's words and then Guinan's about how the Borg are going to be coming for them. No, a lot of TNG episodes boil down to, do you do the right things consistently? Yeah, a lot of them. When there's not something huge on the line. When it's not a heroic moment. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of TNG episodes where, like Okana, where yeah. they're not in any danger. Or, no, the fucking glob flies. Uh, symbiosis is another one we've done, right? Where it's like... Where he pulls his... Uh... <laughs> Or he's Wisdom of King Solomon. Yeah, at the end. At the end, right? There's a lot of them where the stakes are low and we're just modeling good behavior. This is a full-on high-stakes one. Yeah. And in Deep Space Nine, a full-on high-stakes episode, probably we would see some not-Federation behaviors. Yeah, they go the other way. But that's not going to happen in TNG. 
Um, but yeah, it, it does give it a different feel from that sort of constant small stakes doing the right thing because it's the right thing of um, TNG. So I thought the inconsistency with everything having to do with Q was kind of a fail, but uh, that the tone was good. Like it was an effective episode. So I gave it a six. Uh, how did you feel we did world building? I actually think this is like what's done in this episode in terms of world building is sort of as much as you can do without introducing some kind of crazy where no one has gone before kind of the very nature of the universe is being is made up of thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty high up. Like our our entire understanding of everything is different now. Okay. Let's just get, let's just go. It's a huge list. Uh, the enterprise computer is classified as intelligent circuitry. I think. Yep. Don't know what that means or how it applies to the acts of Cumberland. Uh, everyone at the Academy wants to go to the enterprise. Um, these engineering stations are not waterproof, I guess, because Jordy does not want her in there with the hot chocolate. Yeah, super weird that there's a replicator right there, huh? Mm-hmm. I guess you have to just go right around the corner into some alcove or something. Until now, Guinan has been, like, fun to talk to. Yes. In this episode, we have to start to ask, what is a Guinan? And is this why she takes such delight in solving everyone's little tiny problems? Because she's scarred by some big shit. Yeah. She senses Q's presence. Yep. Even if she can't put her finger on what it is exactly. Uh, Jordy trusts, like you said, trusts her so much that he sees that she's weirded out and bolts for engineering to be at his station in case. Yep. Uh, Q suggests she's gone by other names in the past. Yeah. Um, so Such they as have... Madam Guinan, we will eventually learn. <laughs> yeah, it's a very different name. So they've run into each other numerous times. She even recognizes his human form face. Yeah. Um, she knows which Q he is. Exactly. She says that some Q are almost respectable. It indicates, again, that she's had some experience with other Qs. I feel like probably not Corbin Burnson. He doesn't seem that respectable. He's kind of like, he seems... you, you know you can't do this. I, By the way, I, I think it's hilarious, but you know you can't do this. He seems like he's not much better than Delancey, for sure. Um, Is Q's worry about the rise of man the central plot of TNG? Uh, well, I have been mentioning it every time we see him or think about him, for sure. He again mentions how much faster they're evolving than they should. Yep. Uh, he sends them again 7,000 light years from their old position, which Data says is two and a half years from the nearest starbase at maximum warp. Yeah, it's not clear from what direction. Like, he could have thrown them all the way across Federation space, so That's they might I'm not saying. be 7,000 light years from the nearest starbase. 7,000 light years from where they were, but not We from... would expect, in Voyager terms, 7,000 light years to be about seven years' journey. Yes. But that would, e- even if you said worst case, they crossed all of Federation space, it must be huge. Yeah. Oh, you know, the other thing is, Enterprise is not as fast as Voyager, so you'd think it would be even more, but that's fine. Yeah. System J25, Guinan's people have been there before. Oh, yeah, they have been there before, because that's where they're from. And she's worried. But no, she- they're not. Uh, Guinan's people aren't from System J25. Oh, so she's just... That's not her planet that was wiped out, as far as I know. Um, uh, identical to what happened to the Neutral Zone outpost last season, so there's some wrapping up of that mystery. Um... The very nature of the Borg Cube. Uh, let's see. Guinan has her own office across the hall from 10 Forward. 
Yep. I like that, though. She has to go. She has to leave 10 forward and go across the hall to use the viewer. That's where she orders X bottles of Y, and etc. And also big gold phaser rifles. That's right. Guinan's people were eradicated by the Borg. Um, so Enterprise is at red alert, and the Borg just appears in engineering, so I guess they beam through the shields. Shields don't seem to be doing much good. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot to say here. The first phaser blast that Worf fires doesn't hurt the drone at all. No. The second one, at a higher setting? Yeah, he does crank it up, it seems. Kills him. Yes. The next Borg is adapted. Now, yes. the first time they fire on the cube, nothing happens. Yes. Did they turn up the setting again? Appears to be the case. Because <laughs> then they blow up the Borg cube real bad. Third time, nothing. So this seems to indicate, one, Starfleet phasers are different enough from what the Borg have previously seen that they can get cut up from them a little bit before they adapt. Yes. Two, that the hand phasers are different enough from the ship's phasers that the Borg cube is not ready for the ship's phasers, even though the drones have already been shot up with the hand phasers. That's one possible take. It's also possible that they... That the Borg are making a guess about how much power they need to put into the shields mm. so based have, on what they've seen yeah so maybe it doesn't have to do with composition or frequency or whatever. and because they are a collective organism and they don't really care about losing a drone or two or big parts of their ship necessarily uh it's okay if they guess wrong and they're just being efficient about it in some way maybe like we'll turn the shields up so that they're powerful enough to block the most powerful shot we've ever seen these guys do yeah maybe um, but you're right it's interesting. The Borg Collective Society, the Borg Nursery. Uh, let's see, they get up to warp 9.65 in this one. Borg ships have targeted weaponry. Um, they can attack just the shields, just the warp field. They can slice into the hull to collect samples. They can tractor a ship. So they got a lot of different capabilities. Um, normally I wouldn't expect to meet the scary aliens again, but Guinan seemed to suggest that we definitely will. Yep, although we thought that would be true of the Bugs. Yes, who we all know in real life became the Borgs. Yeah. Um, plus, they were linked to earlier attacks Enterprise has seen evidence of, so they, I guess they're just out there now. Um, between the Q stuff, the Guinan stuff, the new enemy, it's kind of an elite world-building episode. Um, a lot to learn about recurring characters and like existential threats to the Federation without introducing, like I said, any kind of universe-altering element. I gave it an 8. Okay. Uh, you're not wrong, and you also covered almost everything I had written down. Um, I will say Picard's on deck 9. Yes. Um, we learn a little bit about starship design and the resolution of data sensors. He can identify that there's no engineering, there's no bridge, so theoretically that's something the sensors would be able to do for him. Okay. Let's find the bridge of a starship, which I think would not necessarily be easy. Yeah, you'd be asking the computer to like base that on uh, things that you often find on a bridge. And yeah, then just probably, saying, extrapolate. Right. Uh, there's one, I think, one big problem with this episode. Okay. Which is, it introduces another tier of physical entities above humanity and power. And that runs against the strong implication that we've had previously, that humanity is on the verge of becoming something else entirely. Mm. It's like, Q is worried that humanity is a threat to the Q. Right. But if they're not even a threat to the Borg right now, 
it seems like his worry is premature, right? Yeah, except I'm not sure how time works for the Q, and we aren't. He he's never really tips us off as to when he expects all of this shit to go down. Like, are it's we true. a thousand years away? Are we a hundred years away? Are we a million years away? Like, what is the worry? How fast are we going against versus what he expects to have happen? But this is the moment that he is choosing to intercede. Yeah. So it seems like it must be imminent. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't quite like that idea. It, it seems like it puts us another step down from the queue. Yeah. So I'm only a six on world building. Okay. Um, Ben is a seven, so he's right in the middle. Uh, yeah, he said all this. I mean, you really covered most of the world building Yo. in this one. So let's swing right into characterization. Do it. Picard is a little arrogant at the start of this one. It makes sense because he embarrassed Q pretty good on the bridge last time. But yeah. I also I found it a little bit unbecoming. Then, of course, the big characterization questions in this one are what is Guinan and what is her relationship to the ship? Uh, why is she here? Yeah. Did she come here for the same reason Q is doing this now? Like, is she here because she knows that Enterprise is going to encounter some things and yeah. they need her help? We don't, I don't think at this point we even have the sense that she has a close relationship with Picard. They have not said anything. Yeah. <laughs> they literally have told us no reason why she's around. But this is a, a big I different mean, we, look I mean, they say Diana. you're from, uh, what does he say she's from? Novacron. <laughs> they, they say you're from Novacron. They say you're from Novacron. And cut to the next. <laughs> That's that all we know. Favorite. It's my favorite Wesley line ever so far. Yep. That's all we know about Guinan is that they say she's from Novacron. <laughs> um, speaking of Wesley, this is the least Wesley has been in an episode that he's in, I think. Yeah, he, basically he has just... a couple of lines in this one where like, he's at the helm the whole time, and he, a couple of times he says, Helm now answering all stop, and, and that's about it for well, him. Well, he doesn't handle the shuttle mystery in the beginning well at all. He's like, he can't just have disappeared. And then Riker has to go, all right, relax, kid. All right, hold we're on. Lo- we're looking for the shuttle. Just calm We've down. seen some some weird shit before, it's all. Just fucking calm down, kid. Um, everybody else except Pulaski has at least a couple of meaty lines in this one. It was nice not to see her. And, uh, I won't lie. There is a scene where Worf gets real excited to ice a lady Borg on the ship oh, for yeah. no obvious reason. He points that thing right at her fucking dome. He's gonna he's gonna pull the trigger, and he's pretty happy about that. Um, I think more good than bad in this one, I gave it a six. Let's see. Picard tries to play it cool when he gets the hot chocolate on him, but, like, playing it cool is not his thing. No. He's, he's pretty pissed off. I think he is calculating exactly how much irritation to show. <laughs> like he's not gonna let everyone off the hook for this thing yeah but also he can't have them making fuck-ups yeah um he makes Worf go guard the door and tend forward while he chats with q and i think it's because Worf is so easy to bait i think so too i think he sent Worf out of there for Worf. yep he's like hey uh why don't you go you make sure no one gets in here it's a big important job but I also thought it read like Picard was fit, finna do another crime, like last week with Riker. <laughs> he should have called O'Brien out then. to guard the door so no one walked in on him doing a Q crime of <laughs> some kind. He should have called O'Brien in to clean up. Or <laughs> um, go get O'Brien. Let's see. Picard is happy to give into Q's game to save his ship in the end, uh, as he was in the pilot. And he was yep. always willing to give in to Q and be like, 
guilty. Provisionally. Um. Yeah, and then Riker has to show up and say, Q didn't do anything. That's right. This fucking space entity did it. Uh, Jordy, clearly still pretty afraid of Picard, despite his rapid promotions. Because he is very sorry about that hot chocolate. Yep. Uh, and again, he trusts Guinan's random instincts. Um, he keeps a level head in engineering when uh, Sonia Gomez loses her shit. Well, he's been in command of the whole fucking ship, so... During some... Uh, sometimes. Dur- during a bad scenario. Yeah. Let's just say that. Uh, Guinan has a foreboding feeling she can't pinpoint when Q shows up. Is it Q himself she detects, or is it, like, coming darkness? Like, yeah. some bad shit's gonna go down. Yeah, that's a real good question. Is it that the timeline is sort of about to be altered in the sense that Picard and the Enterprise are not supposed to encounter the Borg right now? That's true. We but know it's she, about to happen. We know in the future. We don't know yet. But in the future, we will know she does have time timeline instincts. She has a sense about that kind of thing. Um, Why doesn't Guinan tell them what's out there at first? Yeah, that is dumb. That's she, dumb for plot reasons. She sits on that Borg threat until the cube is outside. Like... She's looking at the cube, and she's like, oh, yeah, these guys are the Borgs. That's what I was saying earlier. You should leave. Again, Wes- Wesley doesn't handle the shuttle mystery very well. Q isn't just afraid of phasers. Nope. Guinan weirds him out. No, Q signals once again that he can be harmed. Yeah, very worried about Guinan, and he's also, again, worried about humanity's future. So yep. he's got a lot of things that he's scared of. Yep. Uh, I thought his final line that he delivered to Picard should have been trimmed down to "It's not safe out here. It's wondrous." And then he should well, have just is, left. And is he scared? And we'll cover this in the future. Is he scared because he knows he's been making enemies, and he doesn't he doesn't want there to be more Q races out there? Yeah, because they he knows he and his friends have been real dicks for the yeah. last thousands of years, and he just doesn't care about Kevin Oxbridge. I don't know. It's also, it is unclear what the tears are. Uh, is he more yeah. powerful than a doubt? I don't know. How does it work? He he manifests different powers than Kevin Uxbridge does. But I think it could be because he's not a man of special conscience. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Worf thinks he'd like to take a shot at Q. Animal Worf also wants to blast the Borgs walking around on the cube, but Riker stays his hand. Riker, um... Not willing to run and hide, he suggests exploring their ship while they've disabled them temporarily. And even though he seems really pissed in that conference room, he's like, I don't know, Guinan. Only seems fair. They visited us. We should pay them a visit in return. Once he's on the ship, he turns into, like, a pure explorer. Yep. And he is, like, super curious about everything that he's finding there, and he does not seem pissed at all anymore, which I actually thought was kind of cool. Like, he's he turns into the perfect Starfleet explorer. Yeah, a little he's bit. over there. Um, so I thought good Riker, bad Worf, pretty close to straight down the line otherwise. It wasn't really a character-building episode. I gave it a five. Yeah, that all sounds pretty reasonable to me. Um, Ben's as high as a seven. Dang. He likes the coffee incident. He likes angry but in control Picard and no eye contact. Jordy. Jordy can't Jordy, make eye contact. I was say, that's all. That's always Jordy. Um... He likes it. Uh, he doesn't say this, but I think he likes it because it's a little moment. It is a moment, yeah. Yeah. 
What is Guinan, he asks. Mm-hmm. He wonders if they're trying to get rid of Troy. Just replace her with Guinan. I wouldn't be surprised, because we know that the people on the uh, staff were keen to get rid of any ladies who were, uh, they felt were out of line. Yeah. They got rid of Crusher. He thinks uh, Frakes only reads his lines in the script. Because he says, Record delivers a line with the most smug look on his face. And then Picard says, no, we're not smug or arrogant. So he thinks uh, Record needs to read all the parts. Because if he'd read how Picard, what Picard said next, he would have played it differently. That's true. I actually believe that about Frakes. I do too. He I just, think that's a very credible theory. He has his assistant or whatever go through and highlight all of his parts. And then he just reads those. And he doesn't know what's going on otherwise. Uh, and in his quick energy, he says, this is how Q should be used. I guess because it advances some things. Yes, instead of just having just a silly advantage. Well, again, we've talked about Ghost yeah. of Christmas Past Q, who we will eventually start to see. Yeah, um, just to go back to Frakes. Do you suppose, I just was thinking, do you suppose someone one time went, yeah, do you want me to um, do lines with you? And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, well, you, like, you know, we'll, we'll do lines back and forth. He's like, why would you read my lines? And they're like, no, 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 I, I'll read the other people's lines. He's like, I don't need that. I read my lines. What do you mean you want to run lines? I'm, I'm with really me? confused. The fuck I don't does have time that for mean? this. I have to run my lines. You want to do wind sprints? <laughs> yeah. No, I've heard we're getting looser uniforms next year. It's going to be fine. I can get real fat. I'm going to read my lines by myself. That's what I, I can call chub up and stop lifting weights for sure. Um, whose quick hitters is it? Yours. Okay. Let's have them. Uh, it's your girl, Sonia Gomez. Yeah. Always worth pointing out that she played old three tits from Total Recall. She is old three tits Sonia Gomez from Total Recall. Um, So were they trying to add a new character? Was that the idea? Because we got a lot of backstory on this girl. They give her a lot. Um, They'll do this every so often when they drop a new character in and then you have to kind of guess... Like it only uh, makes sense if she's going to stick around or die tragically, and she doesn't do. She doesn't. Yeah, die she tragically. makes it through this one. I guess it's fine to be in a spoiler, uh, saying as a spoiler that she's going to be in like a couple more episodes. Yeah, I think she's in two total. So yeah, it's just like what's all she the... doesn't. the The writers fail to get her over. Right, I is what it could, is. Yeah, that could be it. Um, I think they must have wanted to give something for. Jordy, give Jordy something to do in engineering. Maybe LeVar Burton complained, or... <laughs> I'm all alone down here, I don't even get to like, see the other actors. Most of the time, I'm a voice. Yeah. <laughs> I show up for a conference. Seriously, it was the worst idea ever, not just for Jordy, but for yeah. LeVar Burton to take that promotion. Yeah, uh, because having him be the de facto fourth guy... Yeah. Like... Yeah, yeah Scotty. Yeah, they pull him out for Ar- Arsenal of Freedom and... I don't know. There's a couple more where Jordy ends up running the show. Yeah. Uh, uh, the one where they all get sick. Uh, Angel One? Yeah, Angel One. And every time he does a good job with yeah. it. Uh, both Jordy and LeVar Burton. Yes. Uh, he... In fact, they give him that great showdown with um, Jesus Christ. Chief Engineer Logan? Chief Engineer Logan. Yeah. And then they stick him down there, and then they can't figure out what to do with him, and then he just becomes the guy who can't get a date. It's very bad. Yeah, he was Scotty, right? Yep. And, and now, then they move him to engineering, where Scotty was. And, but now he's... Like, but then they've got... The, but the problem is they've got data in the way. Yeah. So they can't just have him come up from engineering and command the ship most of the time. It's... Yeah. It was a bad... It was a bad choice by everyone. Yep. Do you remember the last time Q was around, and... 
he kept they kept accidentally giving him ideas, and he was like, "Games, games, and perchance a deadly game <laughs> or whatever he says." You have the clip. I don't know what what clip. Game. <laughs> Did someone say game? And perchance for interest, <laughs> a deadly game. So. Does Guinan give you the idea to meet the Borg when she says to him, humanity will learn and adapt to what's next? Yeah, I'm sure, right? Does he, in his head, go, oh, that's no. such a good idea. No, but, but what's the excuse? Is that there's not, some writer didn't didn't write him to say, learn and adapt? <laughs> and perchance? And perchance. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I, I heard her say that and I went, oh, I think she gave the game away. Yeah, it's it is a fun foreshadowing, but yes, what if that was the hint that Q needed? Um, the the reason they did a good job with the Borg, it's not they aren't scary in their cheesy plastic prostheses, you know. It's right. the attitude. It's the fact that they don't give a shit. Yeah, they're just not. They don't care. They're like, huh? You're shooting at me? Oh, you shot that guy? Oh, well. all right. Well, my turn now. Happens. <laughs> I'll just collect his eyeball and leave. Um, that's all I had. They probably can't replicate that eyeball part. That's why he took it with him. <laughs> He's like, we need this, actually, but the rest we don't need. Because, actually, it's fun. We didn't really mention this. They He beams out, but the effect on the other Borg is slightly different, and there's yeah. an ash in the shape of that Borg on the carpet. So yeah, he does like, a vaporize or something. Yeah, they vaporize that dude entirely. Quick hitters. Yeah. If you're not supposed to have hot beverages in engineering, why is there a replicator right there? This is a good question. Um, there is a moment where, uh, when the shuttle beams back and Picard is in 10 forward, when Riker shows on his face that he knows Q is around. And I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like when Worf's panel lights up and he says, Hey, shuttle six is back. And Picard asks where, the, where, where Picard is. And they say 10 forward. Riker gets a huge grin on his face. Like, yeah. Oh, I have put it together. <laughs> and then he's like, and this guy is my bitch. Let me tell you about Groppler Zorn. Q is back. <laughs> That's right. I am smart again. He's still feeling it, dude. He's, I'm telling you, he's still working the mojo from the thing he did to Troy. Yes, exactly. This is... <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Where he pretended like he was going to leave and take the other job. To and she cried, up. and now he's got the power. That's right. Uh, this, for the very first time watching this episode, it occurred to me that we call these people the Borg, because Guidance people called them the Borg. Yeah. Well, and then I thought, yeah, probably Romulans and Klingons are exonyms too. Oh yeah. Well, look, we've never been able to figure out what is the deal with the Romulans. Well, Romulans I, makes no sense. We can all agree that everything that is translated is Roman, and I cannot figure it out. But like the Vulcans told us that the Klingons were called the Klingons, right? Yes. And theoretically, the Vulcans must have said that about Romulans too. I don't know. The Vulcans didn't know who the Romulans were, right? So, yeah. Thanks, Enterprise. So then the question is, what about Vulcans? Yeah. I guess they is said. that a time paradox exonym? Like, did Riker say you're about to meet the Vulcans to oh Zephram Cochran? I wonder. Because then who knows where this fucking thing, how this thing went yeah. down. That's information out of nowhere. Some kind of time loop paradox. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you should take data on this away mission over to Borg territory. This dude is not trustworthy. No. He's going to have secrets over there. Yeah. He's going to interact with these robots or... Form a robot coalition. It's just not trustworthy. Don't do that. 
But I did love that the inside of the Borg ship is just there's fucking 80s floppy disk drives on the walls everywhere. Well, they need a lot of computer power. And in the 80s, that just meant just throw like a 1,000 computers in a room and say good luck. And also the sparkling black floor in that Borg ship, clearly from a 1980s office building lobby. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Well, they are the perfect consumers. When they get back to where they came from, Wesley says that they're at 070 Mark 63. I don't think there's any way that can describe a position in three-dimensional space. Yeah, what is that? Wesley, what is um, that? That could describe a direction, if you had a reference point. You know, he's been sitting there at the helm for a long time. I think they all just assumed he knew how to fly the ship. Yeah, because he he came up there and he knew which button on Picard's console showed intruder alert status. Yeah, perimeter alert. On his fucking thing, and then they're like, that guy can fly the ship, what the hell? But they never actually taught him. I think Data must be correcting for him. Yeah, Data's, Data's helping him out over there. Hey, Q really bailed Sonya Gomez out here, huh? It's true, this was going to be her shameful episode. There's no way Picard cares about that spill after all of this shit. Like, You won't remember. It's the only funny part of his next three weeks. He's got to tell all those people that their next of kin died. Mm-hmm. He's It's probably classified. He probably can't even really do a good explanation. No, we had he an can't, accident. He can't talk about Q in these letters to these no. people's parents right no the regular person cannot know about q he can't say we were seven thousand light years away way out in system j25 and a super race called the borg cut a big fucking hole in the ship yeah and Um, there's gonna be debriefings we know no one reads his logs but he's gotta tell people about all of this reason number 500 babylon 5 is better some senator would tell sheridan that no one was allowed to talk about this situation yeah, 100% Babylon 5 And is he'd better. go, fucking, fucking bureaucrats, and then go back to his desk. But that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. Is some, some admiral is going to be like, we can't panic all of the millions of worlds in the Federation or whatever with this nonsense. But here's the, I mean, like, there's a moment in this scene where, in this episode where Sonia Gomez is like, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And now none of that matters. That's right. She's off the hook. Hey, I got a question. I know you're still going. I got a question about repairing. No, I'm done, so go ahead. About the core that was just taken out of the saucer section. None of those quarters or or rooms are ever going to be quite right again, are they? Oh, for sure. Be like, it's going to be just slightly off. You're going to be like, oh, that's where it happened. I can tell. They tried to make it so you couldn't tell, but I can tell. Yeah, the good news is, canonically, uh, the Enterprise is only 30% full when it launched. You mean in terms of sections? Yeah, I mean, in terms of space, like so only a lot 30, of 30% shit. of the sections are uh, occupied or have mission modules in them. Oh, so maybe we got lucky. So I there's mean, room. They died. only cut a section. They cut a few sections out of three decks. There's a lot of ship left. So maybe they don't need to ever put anyone in those. But yeah, if they ever stick someone in those quarters, there's going to be like, someone's going to be like, there's what's that seam? Yeah, that's not, that doesn't quite match. The wallpaper is just slightly off there. I see that. It's a weird smell in here. Yeah, what is the deal here? I don't, I don't want these quarters. I want new quarters. Is there... It's weird. It's weird to ask to be put on a different part of the ship, right? Can I just can I put as reason? Don't like these quarters because that's what I'm feeling. <laughs> I mean, the good news is that middle section is like windowless. I don't think they tend to put crew quarters in the windowless areas it's of the true. ship. It's probably where they got to put the dark microscope that uh, what's her name's working on. 
Exactly. The piano lady. Whatever. But there were 18 people there when it happened. That's what I'm saying. I don't think these were empty sections at the time, but maybe they won't replace them. Who knows? No, way up in the edges of the saucer section, probably not where they keep the empty stuff. No. I gave best actor to Guy, and then I gave worst actor to Worf. It's not really Worf's fault. He's not writing this shit, but he's not... They really are. He doesn't. He doesn't make me understand why Worf is suddenly this guy. There's a couple of things going on in season two. One, they dumped him way down and made him an yep. animal person. Two, they're also not giving him much to do. Like no. later on, there's going to be a lot of Worf, and he's not going to be as good as season one Worf. But there's going to be a lot of Worf. But there's a lot of him right now. It's like he's in a room every once in a while. That's it. He ain't doing nothing. Yeah. He's getting this. He's doing the same shit that made Denise Crosby leave the show. Is the trouble? Yeah. He's opening the hailing frequencies. Yeah, he's standing up above Picard, and yeah. firing the photon torpedoes that never hurt anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Three down, two to go. All right, let's do this. Uh, second place last week was Enterprise. I think it's two weeks so in a row, right? Weren't they? It was two two in a row where Enterprise was in second place. Wild. Um, it's not enough yet for them to have caught Voyager, but, um, maybe they made some headway this week. We watched Future Tense. Now we just boarded on our futuristic spacecraft. No mistakes, black. It's our music we must take back. Real quick before you start. Yeah. What century would 3030 be? That'd in? be the 31st century, and that's what mm-hmm. I was just about to say. I had. And is there a futuristic it. spacecraft in this uh, episode at all? No mistakes, Black! Okay. <laughs> Sometimes it lines up. Yeah. I had not thought about that until I heard that play, and I went, oh, it is the 31st century. <laughs> um, well, that makes me like Enterprise a lot more now. All right. The discovery of a derelict pod with a long dead human pilot. He's sort of human. Opens up, opens up a mystery. Some of the crew speculate he's the first human to invent the warp drives. Zcock, you remember him. We do. This ain't him. We know that. Yeah. But they don't know that. D- DNA profiling reveal the remains are uh, not his. Because it's uh, some dude who's got every kind of alien in him. Some kind of mutt. Including Vulcan. <sighs> Tucker so and Reed. Take that. Take that, T-Paul. Examine the mysterious pod and discover... Via magic floor panel. <laughs> that it is much larger on the inside than on the outside. Yep. <laughs> that's going to be, but, that's gonna be very way, useful for this episode. By the way, is that how that guy gets down to that panel? He's got to take up the fucking floorboards and then do the three-way lock? Yep, that's how. <laughs> it's very, what very... What has pain? It's not a good ship. It's not good at all. When it's, no one is here, I poop with the door open. I cannot imagine if I had to go down that fucking weird shaft every time, because that's got to be where the bathroom is. I'd rather fly the ship that Riker's buddy has that goes warp three. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that ship's better, because this ship is stupid. <laughs> um. Anyway, they recover a device from the core, which uh, has a weak energy signature. Um... Anyway, as they're messing around with this thing, a Suliban ship arrives and claims salvage rights on this old pod. But Archer refuses to yield without further explanation. Then the Suliban open fire and beam in a boarding party, but are uh, eventually repelled. Undaunted. Enterprise then sets course to rendezvous with a Vulcan ship. Uh, Talkir? Yeah, something like that. 
Flox's scans reveal the dead pilot, like I said, has multi-generational DNA fragments from several alien species, including Volcanian, Torellian, and Rigelian. Yep. Seeking answers, Archer and T-Pole enter Daniel's quarters. I, they just keep everything in those quarters, and whenever they yeah. want to go look at fancy future tech, they just say they're going to Daniel's quarters. And for some reason, Archer doesn't want to do that all the time. No, he keeps it locked almost all the time. Only when he really needs to does he go in there. Yeah. He's very patient, because... Uh, well, anyway, they get into it many times in this episode. Some of the people on the ship are desperately curious about time travel, and some are not. Um, then they learn that the pod that they found is a time travel vessel from the 31st century. They learn this by just randomly scanning through all the shit. Yep, they uh, just fucking flick through it. Don't worry, and just... 45 seconds in, they find it. Just like how Data eventually finds out about the naked time mm-hmm. in um, in the naked now by fucking flicking through the database and looking at all drawings from Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise. Yep. Yeah, all the Okudograms. Yeah, all the Okudograms. <laughs> uh, that's what they do. They find it. You know, they f- first there's a false start. They put a false start in there where they find one that's mostly like that ship but isn't, and yeah. then, then they do find it. Unclear what search terms he's using, but he finds it pretty quick. Uh, anyway, Tucker and Reed on returning to the pod to do more exploring, get stuck in a recurring time loop. This heightens T-Pole's concerns, and she discusses the situation with Archer, who feels they must have more information on the temporal Cold War. Worth pointing out at this point that T-Pole still believes time travel is impossible. Says it 100 times in this episode. Says it a bunch of times. Seems to be troubling her, frankly. Well, because she knows at this point she's saying a bogus word. She's wrong. (laughs) The words that are coming out of her (laughs) mouth are not the right ones. But she can't stop saying them. Um, then some dang old Tholians arrive. We ain't yeah, seen them do. in this show yet. Oh, don't worry. We still don't see them. Um, just their ships. Requesting the pod, just like the Sulaban. And warning Enterprise of uh, temporal radiation that's going to harm them. So give us that pod so you don't have the temporal radiation problems. Again, Archer refuses. And um, they bail after he threatens to destroy it. The crew reaching the rendezvous destination, uh, they're being chased the whole way by Sulabons. Um, discover the Tholians have disabled the Talkir, the Vulcan ship. And pretty soon they destroy the Sulaban and disable Enterprise as well. Um, after going through some more time loop nonsense, Archer and Reed finish booby-trapping the pod, because they're going to go out and blow it up. But the Tholians detect that and immediately disarm the device. Yep. Tucker then gets the temporal distress beacon in the pod to power up. And soon the future ship and its contents dematerialize. The Tholians bail, and Enterprise assists the Vulcan ship, uh, becoming Archer's olive branch to the Vulcan High Command. Uh, Well, that's some editorializing from Wikipedia. Yeah, Wikipedia, that's not even a real sentence. Um, He hopes, I guess, that that... Uh, that'll, that'll go over well with the Vulcans that um, that they stayed stuck around and helped that they helped and he helped them I guess I don't know um, what was this thing about you're gonna have to stick with me on this one because it's a little cooked okay <laughs> so last week we asked uh, well we, last week we asserted that humanity was ready to take a role in bigger politics in ceasefire in the well bigger... we definitely asserted that that's what the show was saying Yes. Yeah. In this episode, we learn that humanity can no longer rely on the Vulcans 
to help them, they must take a more active role. Okay. So it's an intensification of last week's plot. So here's why I think that's what's going on here. The Vulcans don't have the science to understand time travel. So they can't help them with whatever's happening with the temporal cold war. They seem to not have the curiosity. Yeah, that too. They're just like, they, nope. It's they not have decided very... it's not possible, and that's fine. They're done. The Vulcans cannot protect them physically. They can't beat these Tholians. No. There's like four Tholian ships. That's it. Yep. And if Archer is right about the ship and the pilot then we know that humanity is going to have a bigger role in the future. That they're definitely going to have interbred with all these other races. Yeah. It's highly suggestive that humanity's got a bigger part to play. And the people who claim the ship again, like when they turn the teleporter on, yeah. every reason to think that they're at least partly human. The pilot of the ship was, right? So yeah. this is saying... it. You can't rely on the big old race anymore and it's like um you know that's kind of a metaphorical parallel to coming of age but also it's just like if you liked when sheridan said get the hell out of our galaxy yeah, in and babylon then, 5 and then the vorlon one was like will you come with us <laughs> and then lorian was like yeah all right geez what's wrong with these They're such whiners yeah so i mean if you if you like that sort of coming of age story this is obviously the dumber worse version of it and it's just a hint at it but that's uh i don't think there's any reason you could say that this is a dumb plot to have taken so i gave it seven points i appreciate the work that you did because a lot of the time you give a cynical take or i give a cynical take and i think the point of this project is to find the art because yes. they didn't provide it <laughs> You know what I mean? We're digging it out for sure. Yeah, they provided a bunch of turds, and we got we got to find the art. I just we talked about it offline, and I I I didn't see. I mean, I see all the evidence. I just have no idea if that's what they wanted you to take away from it. All I could get out of it was is is time travel good, which is one <laughs> point. That's all. Fat one point take. <laughs> And the reason I think that's what they wanted us to think is because every conversation in the episode that happens between two people in a room privately is this conversation. Hey, is time travel good? <laughs> I think it's good. What about you? And the person goes, I think it's bad. I don't want to do it, and I don't want any part of it. And the other person goes, it's pretty good, though, because if you think about it, you could, like, know who you're going to marry or whatever. And then the other guy's like, well, yeah, but that's bad, because then, like, what about free will yep and that's it and that's what happens they do a lot of dumb uh philosophy 101 level stuff in this it's yeah true. it's read and trip when they're with the pod t-pole and archer whenever they're talking about the temporal cold war it's all just like hey should we do this thing or not um and that's just real garbage that's nothing <laughs> um so so we are pretty far off so we're gonna be apart on this one it turns start. out we've started we'll off to be far apart. by the way i guess at this point it's worth mentioning that i have been 10 points higher than you in yeah. an individual episode you have been 10 points higher than me i point that out only because i'm starting out six points higher than you we had we've already had a couple that have been pretty different today i think let me take a look for yeah a we have an eight Okay. So we're eight we're eight apart on TOS. Uh we're only four apart on QHU. Okay. In the other direction, by the way. You really liked QHU. I did. QHU. Yeah, QHU. I have to figure out how to say it. I think it's QHU. Um, QHU. I'll just jump into execution. This episode was not about anything. 
it was an action story, kind of like this week's Voyager, where the premise was not really important. It was about moving the plot along a little bit. Um, yeah, it was cooked in both cases, I think. And in both cases, I liked the pacing. I, I, it was not as annoying as many of the other episodes in their series, in their respective series. Um, I think this was the least annoying of the temporal Cold War episodes we've had. We saw some aliens, like the Tholians. We ain't ha- we ain't messed with them yet in this one. So this is less irritating than Archer in a library in ruin San Francisco. God, yeah, yes. Um, we enjoyed some mysteries, which weren't looking all- at a book and going, "Who are the Romulans?" <laughs> yeah, <we> go, We're- <laughs> yes. <sighs> that episode could not have scored well. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, we enjoyed some mysteries, all of which were not solved, and that's a good thing. Um, Shockwave Part 2, is that what that's called? It was is one of those shockwaves. Yeah, it's sure. 25 points. 25. It's medium, medium for Enterprise. This wasn't bad. The temporal radiation time loop aspects added nothing to the episode. I wish those had not been in there. Boy, I wrote the almost the exact same thing. Um, <laughs> hey, so how did all these different species know to come find this pod? Are there lots of Daniels out there and all these different factions trying to win this Cold War and going further and further back in time? Because, like, everyone just pounces on this fucker. I know this might be yeah. a world-building question, but I, I had this as a plot question. It is a question that no one asks. It's interesting to me. The Sulaban claim that one of their ships came across it three days previously, I don't think there's any evidence that that's true. Yeah, because, like, they would have We know that it. the Sulaban are taking orders from some weirdo in time. That yes, the that faction of them is what are they called? The um, cabal. It's possible that they show up there uh, at this time because they know from the future that that's when Enterprise found this ship. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do they all have a Daniels? I know that the Sulaban right. have the Shadow Man. Did the Tholians have one? Yeah, not clear. Yeah, not clear at all. Uh, Tholians seem legit though. Um. And honestly, if we're supposed to be getting sex feelings from T-Pole and Archer whenever they talk about this person full of different alien DNA, I'm out. There's like one look between them. They defi- they they bring it up, but they definitely don't drive it home. I thought it was a five. Okay. Uh, I also gave it five. So, time looping is an established part of Star Trek. And even this thing where you have sort of information or memory that passes between the loops, we know about it, right? Yes, unfortunately. It's gonna, we'll see it done in a better episode later. But the torpedo scene at the end, where they can't get the fucking torpedo disarmed and put on the thing in time because of the time looping, is raising tension for no reason. Because... You could accomplish the same thing in the script by saying it's going to take 12 minutes to disarm this. They do it all the time. This should take me about five minutes. It's just a clock, right? It's just, it's going to take four minutes, but then it's four minutes times a couple of time loops because, and so it just means that they're under more and more pressure to do it, et cetera. Stupid. Yep. Very dumb. Unless the purpose of it is to prove that this time ship is actually dangerous for them to have. But at that point in the show, they've decided to blow it up. Yeah. And also... Is there a point to making the Tholians' information credible? Are the Tholians good guys? What's happening? It's the, we don't learn anything about the Tholians. So that's we what know I'm that saying. they're, like, they're xenophobic and that they're not humanoid. So what is the point, then? What is the yeah. point of this whole thing? Another thing that has no payoff is the ship being bigger on the inside. Yeah. Why? It's weirdness for its own sake. 
it does not play a part in what happens later in any way. Yeah, they're like, hey, a 31st century must be weird. Okay. It's just, it's really, it's honestly just the evidence that T'Pol should not be able to overlook for the idea that time travel is possible. Because here is a thing that is clearly and plainly impossible. Yeah. So go ahead and tell me how this can't be a ship from the future. Yeah. I think that the show would have been better served if T'Pol's dogmatic belief that time travel is impossible was questioned a little further. And I think that it, her scene with Flocks should have addressed her obvious racist disgust for interbreeding. Yeah, right? There's a scene where she sits down with Flocks, and I'm like, ah, oh, they're going to talk about it. Well, how she finds it distasteful that this guy interbred with Vulcans. This is the no, problem they, with No, they talk Trek. about how time travel's impossible. I know. This is the problem with Star Trek, though. All of them are racist. Yes. Every single character in every Star Trek series is a racist. They well, all deal been... in these broad stereotypes, and they are not a fan of others, other aliens that are not themselves. Exactly. Now, having made those four or five complaints, pr- pretty good for an Enterprise episode. Yeah, because it was fun to watch. You didn't fall asleep during yeah. it or whatever. Yeah, it's, five, it's a five on execution overall. Yeah. Ben... Not so sunny on this one. He's a two on the take. With the take, it's a mystery. That sounds like a one to me. Yep. That's what I'd give a one. And he is a three on execution. A ship from the 31st century. What a mystery. Boo for co-opting the Star Trek six plot device of doing surgery on a torpedo. This is not the only time. Listen, they loved that idea. Yeah, they did a lot. To be fair, Star Trek six was pretty, pretty good. We've seen tor- torpedo surgery already in this project, by the way. I don't remember the episode, but we've seen it. I'm also already going to take that back and say Star Trek Six is pretty good until the scene where uh, they all pose for a photograph at the end. <laughs> that no one takes. Yeah, they're just posing. They're just posing. Waiting they for all go stand around the podium and no one takes a picture of them. It's red. That part gets... I mean, that whole scene is awkward. Why is Fat Scotty sent up there to stop the assassin? Scotty, go do the commando shit. Uh, uh, okay, so that whole part. After the confrontation with the cloaked ship. Yes. It's not good, but up everything until then, it's basically a good everything one. after the torpedo surgery, yes, exactly, is not right. is not a so good. Yeah, all right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt with that Star Trek. Oh uh, no, he's a two and a three, and he's a two in world building. Tholian ships, temporal cold war is not so cold. Mm. They have uh, they have the proxy aliens duking it out. Well, that's what the cold war was. Yeah, a lot of proxy wars during that. That's the cold war. Yeah. Um, I, on the other hand, gave it as many as four points. For world building. Okay. It's a little better than the standard three. We have uh, the Tholians. We have uh, Vulcan cruisers. Hmm. And also, we have sort of an idea of... So, Archer hates the Vulcans. Yeah. But he thinks this cruiser, the menace of this one Vulcan cruiser, is going to scare off all of these Suliban ships. Yeah. The 18 Suliban ships that are attacking. He's like, there is a Vulcan cruiser out there. That's right. You idiots. <laughs> You're totally going to get it when we get to that Vulcan cruiser. He's about to learn what that's worth. Uh, we've got this time ship. We've got we, the idea of weird geometry. It's world building, even if it doesn't do anything for the plot. Mm. Uh, interspecies reproduction. There's a lot about why that might be difficult to do and yeah. why no one's done it. And that's something that is generally not really addressed in other Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to have it at a four for world building. I also agreed. I had it as a four. Uh, let's see. More Z-Cock mentions. This dude is all over the damn place. 
Beta Colony. Uh, seen what a Suliban ship looks like. Uh, instead of just all those pods stuck together, there was there were some other Suliban ships in there too. Yeah, weirdly, it looks like a Uridian destroyer with some shit glued to it. Like it's all <laughs> yeah. CGI. They don't have to do that anymore. That's right. You can make your own thing. Teepole seems to think Vulcans and humans would not be able to reproduce. We know that she was wrong about that, but... Um, well, she knows that she's wrong about that. Dr. Flox just told her she was wrong about that. Well, yeah, now she knows. Yes. Um. Hey, look, the Tholians, uh, the future corpse has an ancestry from all kinds of sentient species. More future ships. Um... How do time loops work, and do humans have special powers? This is twice we've seen a loop spoiled by human intuition, and I don't know yep. if that's because humans are special or that's just how time loops work. Yeah, here's a weird counter-argument to that. The actual crew of the Bozeman. Barely never figure it out. They time-looped for 80 fucking years. Fraser did not get it done. <laughs> yeah. Every time he thought of the number three, he was just like, Am I ordering a number three? Why can we keep thinking about this? <laughs> Unless they were also time-looping for the exact same amount of time as Enterprise, since there was that initial rift that pulled them through, and mm. they were just a little slower than the flagship, which actually would make sense. And also, yeah. they didn't have Data's mechanism to send that three. But do you know what I mean, though? Like, what is this thing where they can tell they're in the loop? Is that just how the loops work? We don't know. Well, Guinan's got some time stuff, too. Yeah, but she's a fancy alien. We're just humans. It might just be a part of the universe. That could be. I would like them to explain, but they they always just go, what's this? And then it's over. The problem is that they know time travel is a rough area to get into. Yeah. And so they mostly stay away from it, and they have not established consistent rules. Yep. Temporal radiation, temporal beacon. Unfortunately, they won't let this temporal cold war die. In this show. No. So this is all universe building that may come back. So it had to be a four. Yeah. How did you feel the characterization was in this action episode? Also a four. Um, Trip specifically does not contact the bridge before going down that shaft. For reasons. No, that was dumb and bad. I mean, Reed brought it up. Yep. Reed said, hey, why don't we just tell him about it? And then we can go down. And Trip goes... No. I'm going down the shaft. Trip makes a lot of bad decisions on his own authority. It's just, there's no reason for It's just, I, and then everything that happens in there doesn't matter. So anyway, Trip tries to bring up the issues inherent in dealing with time travel in his conversation with Reed, but he isn't smart enough to get the point across. <laughs> no, I don't think he convinces Reed. And Reed's not smart enough to fill in the gaps. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's a dumb guy this. talking to a dumber guy, and they just can't get the conversation going. <laughs> no, I, by the way, I agree with you 100%. Reed is dumber than Trip. Yeah, Trip is not smart enough to get the point across to a dumber person. They're just Reed like, nothing happens. seems smart because he's English, but he's actually one of the dumber members of the yes. crew, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, T-Pole remains troubled by time travel, but in a way that is dumb. Yes. <laughs> What's the point of being so stubborn about this? Like, j just... Anyway. The Doctor is so jolly in the face of all the drama that I want to like him, but I don't. I, do I still don't like him. I think I remember that he wanted to kill all those people. Yeah, you may remember that he is a, a xenocide. Yeah. Uh, Reed is curious about the future, but not about... Like, his future. Like, the future of the mission. He's yeah, like, I'd like to know what happens to this mission. 
And then yeah. until Trip brings it up and says the thing about his wife. Um, Archer is ready to play around in this temporal cold war now. He's like, he's ready to get dirty. He even yeah, seems... He's going to be in Daniel's quarters all the fucking time now. Yeah, he's not even going to lock it anymore. He's just going to walk in and out. Uh, and then in the end, he even seems genuinely grateful to the Vulcans for uh, getting shot to shit for him. So that was good for him. But everyone in this episode was very dumb, so it was a four. Okay. Uh, a little, I'm a little better on you than this. I gave it as many as five. Okay. Uh, I thought Archer agreeing to turn the ship over to the Vulcans without a lot of whining or hand-wringing was something. Mm-hmm. Like... I guess when the when it really matters, he's willing to do this thing. Turns out it doesn't matter because the Vulcans can't help him on this one. But um, uh, on the other hand, T'Pol seems to have backstepped a little bit from her. Like, she's pretty gung-ho for Archer and humanity and her place on this mission in general in Ceasefire when uh, so- Soval is giving her some shit. Yeah. And here she's like... Vulcan Academy says time travel is not possible. This so. one point is real. It's tough for her. She just won't give it up. Yeah, these dudes are wrong on melding, and yeah. they are wrong on you, but this is science. Yep. And uh, the scene where she comes to Archer and tells him, let's blow this time ship up, it felt like she was that was an emotional motivation. Like, she didn't want it to be true. That this was from the future, and if they just blow this fucking thing up, then it's forever a mystery. That's right. We'll never have to worry about it again until yeah. three weeks from now when something else happens with the Temporal Cold War. Uh, Tucker and Reed did some dumb philosophy, uh, and everyone else got their Little League line. But I kind of liked Archer. I kind of didn't like T'Pol. On the whole, I gave it five. Okay. Uh, ben. <laughs> ben. <laughs> gave it a... Ben is a four. Yeah, four. We already said he gave it two in world building. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four, he said, uh, T-Pol's pretty even-headed here and Archer is brash. I think we had the exact opposite read. Yeah, I had it the other way around, you but had the that's other fine. Way around. Um, Sweet Boy Travis has a gun in this one. I didn't notice. Does he? I didn't notice. <laughs> Does he? I don't know. He finally gets to do something. He said, did I miss a part where Mayweather like shot some dudes? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't think he was down. Da- the only shooting I remember on the ship was is when he was down. Reed and Trip were shooting. Yeah, and Reed and Trip were getting shot at. Yeah. Well, you know what? Anyway, that's fine. Um, quick hitters. Yeah. So, uh, I'll do my real quick hitters first. Uh, we get that exocomp in this shot again, the one that uh, fixed up Trip's leg last time. Yep, it's still out there. Uh, Trip has enough weird alien sex encounters thrust on him that he kind of wants a conventional relationship with his wife in the long term. He doesn't want to find out her name via predestination paradox. That's right. He's got enough like, uh, uh, it's, strange alien in it. Listen, it's fun for one night, but not for your wife. That's right. Uh, of course, Trip knows all about dinosaurs. <laughs> when he's like, I'd like to meet a stegosaurus. And then he's like, he reads like, he'd eat you. And he's like, Stegosaurus is a herbivore. I'm like, yeah, Trip knows about dinosaurs. Of course, Trip knows about dinosaurs. He goes home. He goes to his quarters. He could probably tell you all about digging machines too. That's right. I know what kind of excavator that is. I like the little conference alcove they have behind the bridge. Yes, I like that they don't go to a separate room to have a conference. They just go back and look at a display. Yeah. 
And uh, not only so, not only is Archer right that the timing is irrelevant if the people who reclaimed the ship are from the future. Trip is very dumb for not right? catching on. And Ben called that out too, by the way, in his characterization that uh, Tucker is intentionally stupid at the end. He doesn't get that time travelers would get the beak at the instant it's turned on. He um, he's not smart. He's not smart, he really but he's smarter than Reed. He is a swamp boy, and you can't take the swamp out of the boy, especially a swamp boy. So this episode and the last one we're going to talk about today are ruined a little bit by the fact that I know some outside information. Right. Um, it's only a little bit in the, in the next one. Uh, I kept expecting the reveal to happen in this one, because I know whose ship this is, and I know who's on it. Hmm. This is, they left it a mystery in this show, and I think that was just fine, actually. Right. But I have played Star Trek Online. Oh, you know all of the stuff. I know whose body that is that they've got there. Yeah. Matthew, do you know who it is? I think I played this one. Um, yeah. Is, is it Daniels? No, it's, um... No. Oh. I don't remember. I played this one. It's it's Caldano. Oh, Caldano, yeah. Inventor yeah, yeah, yeah. of the Toxu Tot. Yep. That's right, I played the whole Toxutot one. This happens immediately after you steal the Toxutot from a Tholian flagship and bury it on Ryza. Yep, I remember. I had to run around the caves and find a place that was, you know, 1% more out of the way than the other locations. Exactly, because yep. it's a dumb game. Yeah. So I kept going, man, are they going to talk about the Toxutot? Are they going to find the Toxutot down oh, there? Bro. I didn't remember exactly how that's the mission all went. S- that's all STO work. That's all STO. It's all STO trying to answer a mystery that probably didn't need to be answered. That's all STO is. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter who this guy was. <laughs> it doesn't matter where those bugs came from. That's but right. Don't worry. They've got to fill time, so. Uh, I got some quick ones, I guess. Give it to me. Nobody better to go inside this pod than Captain Archer, huh? The first guy to go in the pod is Archer. Yeah, that's no not smart. security, medical, engineering staff, anyone? They just fucking cut that thing open, and then Archer takes a big whiff of the air. <laughs> he, just, in there. he just goes... <laughs> they can't scan what's inside. It could be pure poison. That's right. He doesn't waft it or anything. He just, like, <laughs> sticks his whole fucking head in and then comes out coughing. It's wild. I don't understand what they're... I don't understand any of the procedures on Enterprise. They have no protocols for any of it. They're making it up as they go along. In response to Tripp's question about... How could a ship be bigger on the inside than on the outside? I said out loud to myself, maybe it's twisted. <laughs> that's a good answer. That's maybe it. Maybe it's all, twisted. That's all I had. Yes, they're doing a huge Doctor Who reference, but you're right. Maybe it's twisted. <laughs> um, <laughs> mind-boggling again that they just leave everything in Daniel's quarters and they just talk about going to Daniel's quarters. Well, they've got it sealed up with that uh, Simon. <laughs> right? That's a Simon game that's <laughs> yes. got the door locked. Uh, I'm not phased when these time loops happen. And, um, you know, like, they'll repeat a line and they'll walk into the room again. Because I watch uh, shows on Drama Fever. And often, they just have, like, a ten-second stretch that repeats for no reason. What? Because they're badly coded. Oh, I see. <laughs> so, just randomly, a scene will just start over and you'll go, wait! It's just got a weird edit where it just plays the scene again, so you're just like, oh, that's odd. Like, Kwangsu's going into Subway again? Oh, this just replaying. Um, so I was not phased at all when they kept going into time loop. I was just like, oh yeah, that's pretty standard. Yeah, it's t- typical time loop shit. Um, so that's all I had. Uh, I gave best actor to... I was a tough call. I was inclined to give it to Trip, frankly. Okay. He said the lines most like a human would say them, I think. Even if it is a swamp boy. Second choice would have been Archer on this one, I think. 
Uh, and the worst actor, poor Mayweather, couldn't do his one line. <laughs> See, like- dude, he had a real Harry Kim-like uh, situation here where he said one sentence and it didn't sound like a human would say it. Dude, it's not his fault. You know what it's like as a pinch hitter. You're on the bench. You're cold as ice. And they I mean, call that's you exactly... To face a guy throw a 99 and you, you just you see three pitches and you're done. That's exactly right. Uh, last week, Deep Space Nine won. Two weeks in a row. Also two weeks in a row. Uh, both of the Maquis. So uh, that means they're our last episode to, to go through. This week we watched The Wire. They changed the theme song up when Worf got on the show. And I'll added, catch it. Don't added worry. some stuff in the background. But I was just going to say, now that Garrick's really in the show, they should have added a touch in those credits for Garrick. Uh, I mean, I would have loved it. It's nice. This is, I mean, this is Garrick's, only Garrick's third or fourth episode. Yeah, but now he's in it. Like, now it's Garrick's in the but show. he's in it. There was the Cardassian Dissidents episode was the last big Garrick episode, but now yeah. he's here. He he should have been in Maquis, but Maquis was big, was full of stuff, so... Yeah. Whatever. They put Leggett whatever and instead Leggett Parn. Leggett Parn. Um, Garrick and Bashir are doing book club. Yeah. When Garrick gets a sudden I want to be in this book club so bad. Oh, God, me too. Listen, uh, I want to read these Cardassian novels that he's bringing up. Bashir hates them, but I am super excited. I want to read Meditations on a Crimson Shadow. I want to read it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. I want to read these Cardassian repetitive epics. It's their most uh, elegant art form. Yes. Um, <sighs> Sorry. No, there's a scene, there's a, a part in, like, the fourth Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy hmm. where Arthur Dent is on some planet and he's reading this literature where, like, <clears throat> the he's reading a book where the main character dies of thirst 90% of the way through the novel and he had to go back and realize that there was one throwaway line in the beginning about how the water had been turned off in his apartment. Right. And it's just like, it just didn't come up. And he, he read that whole book and, he, you know, he found it, I don't know, unsatisfying or whatever to read. But like the same with this Cardassian repetitive epic. I want to get into this weird book. I want to read it. I mean. So they're doing book club. Yeah, go on for it. Go. Uh, Garrett gets a weird headache and refuses to go to sick bay about it. And um, it clearly sticks with Bashir because in the next scene, he's trying to keep one of Dax's weird plants alive. And he he complains to her a little bit about how Garrick doesn't trust him. Mm-hmm. And even though with her prompting, he he says that maybe he doesn't trust Garrick either. It, it hurts him a little bit. Yeah, they're like buddies. it's bugging him they're He thinks they're buddies. They have lunch every week. Mm-hmm. They're doing book club. Uh, later, Bashir sees Garrick conducting some kind of business with Quark. There's no such thing as not shady business, so yeah. this obviously increases his suspicion. And then Quark calls him to the bar because Garrick is drunk as hell. Mm. And he again refuses to go to the infirmary, but this time he passes out, so it's all moot. Right. So Bashir scans him and finds an implant inside of his brain. And he and Odo team up to see what quark knows about it right they watch him make a call to uh cardassian contact of his 
And it seems like whatever this device is, it's so heavily classified that just punching in the code for it gets Quark's contact in career-ending trouble. Yeah, some crazy, like, alarms are going off. Literal alarms are going off in that dude's fucking station. Right. He googled an illegal number. Yeah, it says... The FBI is aware of your presence, and they're out to get you. And he's like, oh, no. Uh, And they invoke the specter of the Obsidian Order, Mm. Cardassia's super top spy organization. Yeah, super top number one. Yep. And uh, Bashir heads on back to the infirmary to see what old Garrick has to say about this. But Garrick has checked himself out, and he's not answering his door. And Bashir uses his medical override to bust in and talk to him. And it comes out that the device is not, as Bashir and Odo had speculated, a form of punishment. Yeah. It is a device that was installed in his brain when he took on some secrets. And it is designed to respond to pain by re- releasing endorphins and make him immune to torture. I like now, we said, saw I like, last week... Yeah. That Guldukat, pretty good at resisting torture. Don't know if they had this in mind. Don't know if it means Dukat is part of the Obsidian Order or has Obsidian Order connections. And it was a mind meld that he resisted, but he didn't seem scared of real torture either. That's true. Oh, I wonder about that. Um, I was going to say, the way you said it was he got the implant when he took on some secrets, which I thought was a good way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. He took on some secrets. Yeah, um, he's had to carry these secrets around with him. By so. the way, who do Odo and Bashir think they are? Do they think they're Kirk and Spock? They think everything yes, that they posit they is immediately true? They took true? a fucking wild guess and they assumed it was right. Well, they're not those guys. No, they're not. Uh, so here's the deal. Garrick just uses it all the time like drugs. Yeah, he doesn't like his time. He hates being there. Yeah, It's cold, it's bright. The, he doesn't like the way the Bajorans look at him. Yeah. He, but he also sort of thinks he maybe deserves his fate. He's they don't get a chance to go into that a lot. He's got because he has like a little seizure or something. Yeah. Um. He also believes he will not survive with the device off. He doesn't think he can survive the withdrawal symptoms or whatever. Because he tells on. Bashir a story about how he's a war criminal. I think he doesn't believe he'll survive because he's had it on for two straight years. He's had it on for two consecutive years, and it's causing neural degeneration, and that's what is causing his problems. Yeah, it's not meant to be used continuously. Right. Uh, he tells him he's a war criminal. He tells him some story about blowing up a transport full of prisoners on it. Uh, Bashir's. Whatever. He's his patient. He's going to help him anyway. Yeah. Not his... This is above his pay grade. Whatever Garrick did during the Cardassian occupation. Right. Um, so he switches the implant off and starts... Essentially just makes an extended house call at Garrick's where he's just going to stay there and sort of get him through this withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And he's fending off Odo because Odo's finally got the idea in his head that Garrick's part of the Obsidian Order and he's got a lot of questions about people who were killed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we see a lot of a montage of Garrick going through withdrawal and he tells Bashir another version of the story which suggests that his punishment is not necessarily for committing that war crime but maybe it's because instead he let a bunch of Bajoran prisoners go. Yeah. So he's being punished for that with his exile. Right. And then he has a real bad seizure and ends up in the infirmary. 
where they discover that he has bad leukocytes. Yeah, they're not good. They're not the good ones. And they don't have time to they don't have time to synthesize them. So maybe he's going to die. And now there's a third version of the story where he's being punished for uh framing his best friend Elam for having released those prisoners. Yeah. And he feels like he deserves his punishment. It turns out Elam had framed him first. Yeah, he, uh, he but he feels like he deserves his punishment because he was going to betray his friend anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bashir takes off in a runabout to find Garrick's mentor, Anabrentain, the former head of the Obsidian Order. And this guy knows everything about Bashir. Knows his middle name. Knows his middle name. Knows what kind of tea he drinks, etc. Mm-hmm. And after they talk a little bit, he agrees to help Bashir by giving him information about Cardassian leukocytes. Seemed like it wouldn't be that hard to find, but I yeah. guess he's got to get it from the spy master. But he makes it clear that he's only helping him because keeping Garrick alive is punishment. Yeah. So he thinks Garrick deserves to be punished. He's a uh, Maj Kala in this episode. But he gets a little bit of a laugh uh, when Bashir tells him some of what Garrick has told him, and he reveals that Elam is Garrick's first name. Yep. And everything that he has been saying to Bashir has been a lie of some kind. Yeah, all the versions. <laughs> everything. <laughs> In the replimat, Garrick comes and visits Bashir. He seems to have healed. And he essentially resumes their usual relationship. He gives him another book, gets business as usual. And when Bashir asks uh, if any of the stories were true, Garrick says they were all true. Especially the lies. Matthew, what's this episode about? Uh, let's see. There are themes of guilt, self-hate, self-deception, addiction. But I couldn't really find a connecting link to turn all that into a statement. So I guess what the episode was really about is, in friendship, details are less important than emotional connection. We The entire episode, Bashir spends trying to figure out um, Garrick's backstory, essentially. Bashir can't even pretend he's not curious. No. He's extremely curious. He has been since the beginning. Yes. It's maybe the main thing that he's interested in, Yeah, Garrick-wise. But I think their relationship has evolved, because even when he finds out that he has not actually learned anything about the details of Garrick's life, um, what really matters is that he enjoys book club, and he yeah. enjoys spending time with him. I mean, that kind of is what happens. Um, he's never deterred. None of the three versions of the stories appears to shake Bashir. Mm-hmm. Or the realization that all of them were false. And that he, that, well, f- that's what he likes about Garrick, mm-hmm. by the way, is that it's all a bunch of lies. Yeah. It, because it means Garrick gets to keep his secrets and be the secret spy master. That's right. That's what he likes. So, yep. um, it's very specific and isn't of any import. So it's hard to make it. That's a very hot take. I gave it a four. Let me see. That's interesting. I concentrated more on what Garrick's going through here. Mm-hmm. So the take that I have for this episode is no punishment is worse than the guilt you carry inside you. Yes. Bashir assumes that the device is a punishment. Tane clearly believes that living in exile is a punishment. But Garrick's self-loathing is both the cause of his malady mm-hmm. and also the reason he doesn't want to seek treatment for it. That's true. I think that's an interesting take, and I think it's Star Trekky, but I think it's it's not universal for this reason. It's one of these things that is 
an additional reason why if you thought through all of the consequences of your actions, you wouldn't do something that would make you feel guilty and bad. Yeah. Like, that's going to be the worst part, is that I've let myself down. And I don't think people, on the whole, are good at considering the consequences of their actions before they take them. Hmm. So any additional inducement not to do a bad thing is only going to affect the people who already probably had reasons not to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, are you so are you saying that only people who already wouldn't do a war crime are capable of thinking about this reason not to do okay, a war and crime? And I was going to say the same thing a different way. I was going it's always like the pe- people who are capable of feeling remorse for their actions afterward are usually the people who don't do the thing that requires them to feel remorse. I think so. Is that the It's not that it's not that I think people can't feel remorse after the fact. It's that I think they can't anticipate that they will feel remorseful in a way that is enough to prevent them from doing it. Okay. Because I think that there are people who do a thing not thinking of the consequences and later regret it and feel like they did something wrong. It's just that they weren't, for whatever reason, they acted in the heat of their emotions or they didn't project how they would feel into the future. Like, it doesn't seem like it's something that humans are really, really good at. It is kind of an intellectual exercise, you know? Mm, Right. And in a lot of ways, we're just kind of animals with language. We're language animals. Language animals. Yeah. Um, so that weakens the strength of the take a little bit. Although, I think Star Trek often lives in a realm of kind of psychological thrillers. So this is crime and punishment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This yep. is... Uh, do you mean the real crime and punishment? or do you I mean, mean the, the book version crime and punishment. That... Yes, I mean, do you mean the real book, oh. Crime and Punishment, or do you mean the version that um, conservative pundits use, where they completely misunderstood the point? And we'll get into it another time. Marjan, send us your comments on this. It's a, I know it's a very it's a very good it's a very good question to ask. Um, but yes, so um, I think it's Star Trekky. I, there's nothing wrong with it. I just think that it assumes something about people that isn't true. I gave it a six. Ben says, uh, you can lie to everyone, including yourself, but you can't lie to your demons. Then he says, it took me a while to come up with this one, but I was really self-satisfied when I did. I have felt that way many times. Matthew, he gives it eight points. Yes. (laughs) Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. I often feel that way when I have reverse engineered something and I'm like, damn, that's deep. One million points. I like that Ben is open enough to admit that he felt good about coming out with it. Because, like, um, that's how I felt about that Vulcan shit. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. And that got seven points. I've got it. Seven points. (laughs) Um... Yeah, but actually he's working sort of along... Well, no, because this is about lies. And mm-hmm. there's definitely a, a, an element in here that is a lot about lies. Yeah. And anytime you see Garrick. That's right, that's his deal. So, yeah. Um, whatever version of his story is true, it doesn't prevent him from feeling haunted by it, right? So the lies don't don't prevent that. Yeah. So I, I think that Ben's take is not meritless. Yeah. It's... um. I don't know if it's an eight-point take, because I'm not sure how applicable that is, necessarily. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He also gives it seven for execution. Look, they're going to be high scores across the board for Ben. He gave Q Who 27 points, and you didn't hear me play Pick of the Week That's um, right. when that came up. So you know he gave this one a, a good score. 
He's a seven for execution. He says it's a more interesting drug dependence take. Mm. Um, he loves the, the only reveals other, on all the lies, and yet the only the other drug dependence takes we've had right were when Wesley asks Tasha Yar why anyone would get knowingly addicted to drugs. What are drugs? In symbiosis, and then she does after school special and doesn't say, "Yeah, I'm too close to this situation because yes. of my constant rape gang fears." So yeah. let's let uh, go talk to Worf. He's been given good advice lately. <laughs> yeah, Worf's on top of the, on top of all this shit. Go talk to him. Uh, yeah, he likes the reveals on all the lies. I think he also likes that we don't come up like they don't That's try right. to tie it up at the end. I like that too. I did too. Uh, I read did read a fun fan theory. Um, that I will explain. Okay. I think that it is. It's interesting. So we'll talk about it during most Theory fan Corner. theories. I end up going, well, that's not how it happened, but that is interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, is it? I mean, he likes what's happening with Bashir and Garrick's relationship here. And by the way, so do I. I think I have some takes on that as well. Um, is it your execution? Yes. And I am a five on execution. Okay. So, uh, Andy Robinson chews up the scenery in a couple of places in this episode. Mm -hmm. And that's not the Garrick I like best. You like, uh, sly, like witty Garrick. I like sly, witty, in control Garrick. Yeah. I think that it's fine that we see some Garrick that's not that. It's just, that's not what's exciting to me about Garrick. Sure. Uh, in general, I think this bottle show is pretty successful. Um, we only see Tane for like two minutes. Tane's awesome. I'm into it. I like Tane. I, I, I like, love these in control smug Cardassians. I do, I don't know how DS9 is doing it. I know they're not good at writing. How are they accidentally doing this thing where they show us how bad all these people are? But I like them so much. Yes, I usually am not an anti-hero guy. Yeah, me neither. But there's something about these Cardassians. They're working for me somehow. Yeah. I, I, it's like, how do they get it right with these dudes? Like, it's a mystery. When David Warner is torturing Picard. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. We'll get into it. Yeah, the Cardassians. We'll are, the Cardassians are probably the most interesting thing in Star Trek. Yeah, even though nothing about them makes sense, it is yes. inconceivable that they could have fought a war with the Federation. <laughs> yes. But that's fine. Yeah. Um. Limited war. Limited war. Some of Garrick's arc here feels like a retread of duet. Yeah. So that's a little weak for me is I liked the duet thing. And because I already knew Garrick's first name was Elam. Yeah, that wasn't a big reveal to you. As it, soon as he started talking about Elam, I was like, oh. so is there some version of this where he like Tane is the one who killed all those people and he feels guilty about it? Are we just doing yeah. I forget the Italian name of that guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, Abraham Olinconi. Something uh, like that. Yeah. Um, I think that this episode is really saved by the revelation that none of what Garrick told Bashir really makes sense. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Like, it leaves it a mystery. Mm -hmm. We don't have this thing now where Bashir knows Garrick's dark secret. And also Garrick is absolved of whatever he did because he's confessed. Instead, we're in a situation where none of the, even dying, none of what Garrick told Bashir makes sense. Yep. None of it is true. That Garrick is so 
Garrick, <laughs> just to say yep. it that way, that even on his deathbed, he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to give you. I'm going to take one more shot to fuck with Bashir. <laughs> Nothing a bit useful here. is going to happen in this conversation. For That's you. right. Um, so I liked it. And again, yeah, I keep doing this. Like, this is not as interesting as, to me as actual Cardassian and Bajoran occupation world building yeah. stuff wise, because this is really very central to one character, mm-hmm. but, uh, keep, yeah, keep doing this. This is fine. I gave it a five. Um, so like I said, what happens in this episode is, uh, for me, I thought it was Bashir's search for Garrick's true backstory. Uh, in the end, although we've heard many versions, we still don't know much of anything, but that doesn't matter because Bashir and Garrick are buddies and that's that, um, which I do like. And by not revealing anything true about his backstory, we can continue to have a mysterious spy figure on the show and maybe slowly keep delving into him as time goes by. I didn't love the execution on all the withdrawal montages. and Yeah, it was a little corny. Although I enjoy Andrew Robinson's performance, the writers are kind of in over their heads here. It's... It's kind of an average attempt at a dark addiction and guilt storyline. I think TV in general is better at this now. But these writers would be bad at it in any era. Yeah, have you ever seen the... Um, did you ever watch MASH? Um, I have seen MASH. I didn't watch it all the way or anything. This is, It's kind of like, uh, to me, the stuff with Garrick and his war crimes past and everything is kind of like the finale of MASH. Hmm. And it's like... It's not clear what's happening, and Hawkeye is clearly pretty tortured by what it was. And then when you find out what happened, you're like, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that was the best you guys could do with this one, huh? All right, then. We tried to sell this as very, very serious, but, uh, I mean, this guy's been at war for years and years. He must have seen horrible shit. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think you're right. The writers were in over their head. Yeah. Uh, so it ended up as a six for me. I, I like a lot of what happened. It wasn't the best they could have done. Um, world building. Anchor me into world building. Uh, Gallipotans make nice sweaters, but don't even acknowledge the existence of time. I, I can't... Okay, that you're right that it's sort of interesting that they refuse to acknowledge that time exists, that yeah. the species like that could operate. It's just such a throwaway. I never write that shit down. Um, the Never-Ending Sacrifice is the first book they're talking about in their uh, Cardassian book club. The repetitive epic is Cardassia's most elegant art form. Um, Kanar ain't blue, so what was Garrick drinking? And Tane is drinking something blue later, too. Well, I guess some Kanar is blue. It's either that or it's just a straight continuity error. Yeah. Um, Odo seems to have some kind of unauthorized surveillance setup at Quark's. <laughs> Yeah, that's wild, huh? I think no one really cares about that, probably because Quark... We already know that Odo cares more about his own conception of justice than about any law. Also, Quark is a known arms dealer to terrorists, so... Yeah, no, it seems like he should have been able to get that wiretap authorized. That might have been just work. Frankly, straight it's possible that Cisco knows all about that. Yeah. Cisco, Cisco let Quark out of prison at some point between the end of the last episode and this one. It's, it's pretty so wild. So this could be a condition of that release, is that he's got him wiretapped now. Let's see, the good stuff. We learn about the Obsidian Order, whom Odo believes is superior even to the Tal Shiar in terms of uh, intelligence gathering. Um, well, we have now seen them in exactly the same number of episodes, so I guess... Uh, Triftocetarine. Uh, Anabrin Tain, head of the Obsidian Order. Garrick was his protege, he says, and I guess Tain seems to indicate that they have some kind of relationship. But the great thing about Garrick was you never had to order him to do any of this shit, That's right. he says. Even Central Command didn't dare cross 
Octane. Um, implants to make you immune to pain and torture by uh, giving you the happies. Um, Cardassians like things warm and dark. Garrick's aid Elam and this backstory about Dukat and the dead civilians, which all end up being lies. The sons of Tain, whom even the gulls feared, again, lies. Um, Cardassian mechanized infantry. I guess Terok Nor's files really were purged, because the computer doesn't even know anything about Cardassian physiology. I mean, it makes sense that they would have purged the files, but that stuff, well... Yeah, they're probably anticipating fighting the Federation again in another war. They may not want them to have much medical information. Starfleet fought them for 20 years and never learned anything about their physiology? Apparently not enough. Seems kind of Maybe wild. Starfleet doesn't take prisoners. Maybe. Like the Romulans. Maybe. Hyperzine. Uh, Tane retired to the Erewhoff colony. Idanian spice pudding. Meditations on a crimson shadow I want to read badly. <laughs> Cardi- well, definitely that one seems like it would be more interesting than The Neverending Sacrifice. The uh, the Cardi stuff scores big. All the Garrick-specific stuff is too murky to score, so yeah. I gave it a four. Uh, I had it at a four. You actually talked me up to a five, because uh, I'm thinking about that timeless species. Species, they refuse species to even acknowledge, no like the Vulcans. The Vulcans say no to time travel. These guys say no to time. No to time. Yeah. Um... Boy, did I get anything that you didn't already have? Uh, just asking the question: Did did Ducat have one of those Cardassian interrogation? Yeah. Implants? Oh, that's right. I had, I thought I've now forgotten it twice. Actually, I want a five. I want a five. Okay. Because now I want. It's think just such about... an interesting idea because they just showed Ducat being resistant to at least some form of. Oh, torture. He was just straight mocking those dudes too. Mocking them about their torture abilities, mm-hmm. and then raised the just. They the clearly think that... a lot about this. Yeah. Because he yeah. has been trained to resist mind melds or whatever, and yep. this guy's got this device, so this is something they care a lot about. Yeah. Just like the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. <laughs> um, world building Ben was all the way up to a six. Oh. So, uh, Cardassians experience withdrawal symptoms like humans. Yeah. I guess that's true. Uh, Ducat says that after a trial, the inevitably guilty party gets executed. So how did Garrick get exile as a punishment? That probably wasn't a trial. It is. That is true. Um, I think that the way I read that is that what Garrick did probably wasn't technically a crime. Mm-hmm. It was probably politically mm-hmm. inconvenient, right? It was probably a gaffe. And that's how he got exiled. Entertained just made it so. Yep. That he was exiled. Uh, but it probably wasn't something like maybe there couldn't be a trial because uh, maybe he did have orders to kill all those prisoners or whatever. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? There, there are things you it can't bring to a trial. Yeah. Um. But but Ben's right to point that out that we just heard that from Ducat. So it tells us it gives us something else to hook into as to why Garrick is here in exile. We just heard that in that great scene with Ducat where he. Where he extols the virtues of the Cardassian justice system. And, and then Cisco, Cisco says, the that's interesting. They, uh, <laughs> You're going to trial next week. so They blamed you for this. So should be fun. I love. We also see a little bit of that with the, uh, the slimy Cardassian contact who's trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to save his career after right. having done this thing with Quark. Like, Maybe they won't trace lot, it to me. There's a lot to hang on to with Cardassians I in really, general. I like them a lot. 
He's a seven on characterization. Um, he liked Garrick's development with the drug addiction. Hmm. It also makes, uh, by the way, Garrick has been walking around wearing a creepy smile. If For you a long time assume that he's on brain heroin, it's weird that they didn't make that his actor secret. I guess they hadn't written that episode yet, so he they says, didn't know. At the end, are we a hundred percent sure we know the truth? No, and that's why we like it, right? Yeah. Um, and again, he thinks they do real pretty good work with Bashir in this one. And then Bashir's brave enough to go to the Obsidian Order's former commander's house unannounced. Oh, yeah. Just walks in. Looking well, at he his also, shit. He also... You know Garrick feels like he's a junior deputized spy because he's been hanging out with Garrick all this time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Bashir's like, I've been taught all of his greatest secrets. I can do this. Where are you on characterization? Mm, I am also a seven. Um... Bashir is mad at Romance of the Three Kingdoms, never-ending sacrifice, for its cyclical storytelling. Yes. Mao loved it. Mao thought it was delightful. I guess Bashir's not in that camp. Not Chairman Mao. Another guy named Mao. Another different Mao who was a literary critic. Mao Zhongang or something like that. A literary critic of some kind. Do you suppose Kira resents Bashir because he spends all his free time with a Cardi spy? They have not bothered... To even suggest what Kira's relationship with Garrick might be. Well, but I'm just saying, her relationship with Bashir. Because Bashir spends all his time with a Cardassian spy. Oh, I see what you're saying. But I think she didn't like Bashir from the moment she met him when he was talking about working out here on the frontier. She probably likes less. (laughs) She's probably just part of a big picture where she probably doesn't understand why Dax tolerates him as much as she does. Do you suppose O'Brien resents that he hangs out with a Cardi spy all the time? It can't be great. Again, another person who we know doesn't like Bashir. Right? (laughs) Um, Who does sort of like Bashir and who wouldn't mind hanging out with a Cardi spy? I presume Dax. Oh, you're probably right. She likes unsavory characters. Yeah. Uh, Bashir is butthurt that Garrick doesn't want him to save his life. Bashir needs to save people, dude. Oh, yeah. Um, Because otherwise, he has run away from his prestigious position for nothing. Yeah. You know, the future that he was afraid of, the failure that he was afraid of that he's running away from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all wasted if he can't actually save people out here. Now he's playing spy at Quark's. Uh, Do you suppose Odo is already there just being a chair or something? Yeah, I do. And you know, and actually, now that we know he has that whole wiretap set up, well, he doesn't have to. He, he just hang out in there. his bucket and watch the fucking tape. Um, I just imagined him, most of him, liquid in a bucket, just his head popping out of the top, looking at the camera. Hmm. Um. Another arms deal, eh, Quark? Or has Quark... I'll give you a little more rope. <laughs> yeah. Or has Odo already given up trying to bust Quark? Because he knows, even though he's an arms dealer to the terrorists, he only gets six hours in jail. Yeah, so probably true. He knows there's no punishments coming for Quark. He doesn't know why. No one knows why. Uh, Bashir is definitely on the road to redemption now with the audience. He even spars with Odo about letting him interrogate his patient. They only gave us bad stuff about Bashir for more than a year, but it seems like Garrick is the way to make him likable in this universe. I think he even Garrick... like, goes all the way to Tane for help. Garrick makes him understandable because... He's not an arrogant. He's not an arrogant jerk. Garrick shows that what he is is a naive, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Garrick argues like an internet troll. Bashir doesn't <laughs> like the book because he's racist. What a surprise. Uh, we got to see drunk Garrick. He's been self-medicating with his implant to cope with his exile. Also, he's got the depression because of the dark things in his past. He tries to harry and the Hendersons Bashir away from him at one point. Yep. Um, I definitely get the feeling that when he's telling this story on his deathbed about implicating Elam and asking for Bashir's forgiveness, is Garrick completely in his right mind playing some fucking games. Yep, for sure. Because he seems clear and awake, and he would never tell Bashir a thing to ask for his forgiveness. Nope, that makes no sense. He's just like, uh, I'm going to add some fucking layers onto this real, onto this fucking story and just get him completely off the trail. It makes no sense, uh, but he knows that uh, Bashir is dumb enough to buy it. That's right. Hey, Bashir's full enough of himself to buy it. Uh, all the stories are true, especially the lies. Why doesn't Dax ask the computer for help with this plant? Yeah, that is dumb. That's all Bashir Dax, does. Dax could have figured it out. He's just like, hey, tell me everything we know about this plant. And then he's like, ah, oh, it says right here it needs a fungus. Yeah. Did you check for fungus? I, I kind of didn't hear what happened in this scene with Cisco. He hurt himself yelling at admirals? Yeah. He pulled something or uh. he strained his throat or something. But yeah, he was uh, having a spirited discussion with some admiral. Is it Nechev? Uh, she brings that out in people. Nechev does bring it out in people. <laughs> she probably, Nechev probably just found out that Cal was a member of the Maki, and she's <laughs> that's true. She's got to have a talk with Cisco about this shit. Um, yeah. So again, it was a seven for me. I, I like the Garrick stuff. Bashir um, is at his best in a Garrick episode, and it was really only the two of them. So, well, it was a seven for me too. Oh, sevens across the board. Sevens across the board in characterization. It's a character episode for sure with our favorite character Garrick. Yeah. So it all tracks. Um. So there's basically no one in this story but Bashir and Garrick, but I really liked both characters. I think Bashir plays a better naive young man against Garrick than he does against Dax or O'Brien. Yeah. So he play he's he's playing sort of versions of the same character with all three of them. Mm-hmm. But there's the weird class stuff with O'Brien and the weird sex stuff with Dax. Yeah. And the weird sex stuff with Garrick is in the other direction, and yeah, it's delightful. Yeah, it is great. Um. But I love seeing Garrick play him like a fiddle. That's really and cool. um. The only thing that we really learn about Garrick in this episode, for sure, is that he blames himself for his exile. Well. And Tane seems to agree. I guess there's a, one other, there's something more basic that we learn, which is that he is definitely Obsidian Order. Oh, yeah, he's for sure Obsidian Order, though he does deny it at the end. Yeah, but we know it's true. Because well, he, t- Tane he says, says so that too. he, that, uh, Odo has gotten the strange idea that he's connected with the Obsidian Order. Yeah, I love how he's going to keep playing that line. He's going to keep playing his card. Yeah. That one is pretty clear. Uh, you're right. So we we did pick that up, but uh, there was already reason to suspect that he wasn't working with just regular Central Command. Yeah. Uh, just He iced that gull two weeks ago mm-hmm. or three weeks ago. Yeah, just, no one, cl- just cold murdered him. So. No one ever looked into it. It's fine. <laughs> that ship just had to leave without its gull. <laughs> Apparently he held the rank of gull if you believe one of his stories. Yeah, so. it's hard to tell which of the pieces are true. Everybody we meet's a gull. I... We've met one legged. I don't. I don't think we've heard the word Glynn said it's, out loud yet, have we? I don't know. Maybe it's been a while. We might have heard it in the first one. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Like the maybe one where in, they got the pipes on their heads. Yeah, maybe in the wounded or whatever. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, seven, seven for me characterization. I thought this was a uh, fun, fun all around in that, in that respect. Uh, what about quickies? I got some, I found myself asking, where's Garrick's sex energy in this opening scene? Mm, then you figured out he's got a headache. He's sick. He yeah. had a headache. Yeah. That's all it is. Uh, is this the first time the obsidian order is mentioned? It, it turns out, yes, that like was invented for this episode. Yeah. I loved this look at Cardassian literature. That is more interesting to me than most things. I mean, like, in terms of world how their literature is different, right? That's the kind of stuff um, I like to hang on to. It's like if we knew more about Klingon opera instead of just having heard it. Yeah. You know what it's like? It's like when you learn that Klingon males read love poetry yeah. and Klingon females throw yell and throw things at them. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, and then I, at some point I realized that this was being ruined for me a little bit because I n- remembered Garrick's first name. Yeah. And then uh, Odo's just going to run down those cold cases no matter what, huh? Yep. He's got some cold cases he wants solved. Yeah, even though the guy's on his deathbed, he's going to get after it. Yeah. I gave best actor to Tane and worst actor to Dax. <laughs> Dax always finds a way. Dax finds a way, Actually, just like in Jurassic uh, Park. Uh, give me them quick hitters. I want them. Um, this discussion they're having in line for lunch never got really loud or crazy. So how did Kira pop up and go, what was that about? Was she just straight eavesdropping? It was, uh, loud enough that when Garrick is like, why don't we just go to the head of the line? You're like the main doctor here. Someone turned around and gave him a dirty look. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. The person next to him heard that. Hey, I'm right here. Hey, there's rules. Hey, uh, Keiko, she's at a conference, dog. Yep. They always let us know where Keiko is. On uh, Rigel 4 or something mm-hmm. like that, it's a hydro, uh, Ben asks, how much does she hate O'Brien that she went to Rigel 4? <laughs> she wants to get away from him bad. Um, Does Bashir always get people to the infirmary by being the catalyst for a seizure? Just like <laughs> That's a good question. Piss them off until they seize up real good. Dude, I really liked Tane. Why are the Cardis so charismatic and so evil? He's he's not like a mustache twirler. No. Even when he's saying things like, I don't want him to die soon. I want him to live a long life on DS9. He just seems so comfortable with it. He, he's one of these mildly jolly villains mm-hmm. that somehow work the best. Yeah. Where he's like... uh. Just kind of a chubby old man yep. who seems totally in control. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. I want to be my new dad. Yeah, I was into it. I was into Tane for sure. Um, And then again, I uh, we talked about this offline. Did you see that alien walking behind Bashir after he gets back from um, hanging with Tane? Please bring this sitcom to CBS's streaming app ASAP. Um, <laughs> hanging with Tane, yeah. The alien walking behind Bashir looked eerily yes, like a Jem'Hadar. Again, it's the guy we've seen before that but I thought looked like a Narn, yeah, and you thought looked like a Jem'Hadar. He's a Krasari, and I sent you two pictures, of one of a Krasari and one of a Jem'Hadar, and they are they are very close. Yes, but see, the thing is that you know that in four weeks there's an episode called the Jem'Hadar, uh-huh. so like you know it's on the fucking horizon with these dudes, so and you're like, did they slip one in? I get the feeling we'll never see another Krasari after that. <laughs> Probably not. You're right that the makeup is close. Um... And then I saw that fucking next week is a goddamn Mirror Universe joint, so enjoy that. Oh, that makes me very angry and, and sad. Enjoy that fucking shit. 
That's it. Uh, let's just check in and see. Man, we got uh, and done it. Ben, ben wants Marjan to explain what a leukocyte is. Marjan, explain what a leukocyte is. Before we leave this episode entirely, I wanted to bring up the fan theory that I read. Oh, yeah, okay, go for it. Which is that all of the stories Garrick told Bashir are in fact true. Mm. And that they refer to different episodes. Uh... That he did blow up a ship full of prisoners right. under orders. That that informed his thinking the next time and he let those prisoners escape. Yeah, the second time, and that, different prisoners. And that he made sure that the evidence for that pointed back to him. Yeah. Because, because of, his, of guilt. his guilt. Yeah, right. that could be. So that is a fan theory that I read and I thought someone did more work than the writers and I'm always happy about that. Yeah, I mean, it would certainly um, explain I, even, uh, especially the lies are true. Especially the lies are true. But I don't need that to be the case yeah. for this episode to function, so... Yes, again, I'd rather not know. Yeah. Actually. Uh, here is how it breaks down. Mm, let's see it. In last place this week. Okay. Second week in a row. TOS. But yeah. this time with a fully respectable 34. That's an above average episode. That is an above average episode, even in a week that brings the average up. Yeah. Uh, in fourth place this week, again, with a pretty good 35, Enterprise with Future Tense. They have not been bad lately. They've had three or four pretty decent f- weeks in a row. They and a 37 the last two weeks. And um, their last red episode was Dawn, which was a 31. Oh, okay. Um, the All week right. before that was the catwalk so at 13. So they are making up So that. 13 was a real stinker, but they've had four pretty decent ones in a row. Making up that deficit. Third place this week uh, with 39 points, uh, Voyager, Basics Part 1. Oh, so 39 they're... wins weeks. Yeah, it has been. It didn't times. win this week, but that's 39 is a fully respectable score. And I guess that means Enterprise did not make up anything this week. <laughs> no, Enterprise dropped four points. So now Enterprise is uh, 18 points. 18 points behind Voyager. Still razor thin. It is very close. Very small margin between them. Yeah. Second place this week uh, with 45 points. Damn. A score that wins most weeks. Yeah. Deep Space Nine with The Wire. Well, coming into this week, we'd only had two 50-point episodes, right? Something like that. That's correct. Um, but the winner this week, Next Generation with Q-Who, scored an incredible 50 points. That's Q-Who. Q-Who. Mm-hmm. On the strength of a 27-point score from you, though I gave it 23, it was co-tied this week for me. Yeah, you tied, had it uh, tied at 23. I had that tied with The Wire. Yeah. Uh, the Wire gained a point over my initial score. Somewhere in our talking. That's true. And usually if you have one that scored pretty high, it's hard to gain more points. The time people. It was the time people. <laughs> the time people who refused to uh, yeah. acknowledge the existence of time. Um, but a 23 for me and a 27 from you is 50 points. It scored a 14 in world building, which yeah. is... Uh, All that Borg and Guinan nonsense. A real high score. It may not be the highest because I did issue a 10. Depends on what I gave that one. A Balance of Terror was a 14. All the Romulan stuff, I guess. But uh, where no one has gone before is a 15. Uh, oh, sorry. I I was wrong. I only gave that 8 in world building. But yeah. um, still, quite good. Yeah, yeah. Um, this week uh, was my highest scoring week. Damn. So I gave an average of 21.4. That's a lot. It's a lot. Um, pretty good week for you. Your average was 19.2 and very good for characterization. At 11.2, it's tied for the highest uh, we've ever scored a whole week for characterization. 
yeah, it was pretty good week. As that was the what we said going in. This one, um, I didn't like a couple of the episodes. You liked them across the board. Um, but next week doesn't look as promising. No, it looks a little less promising. So if you're going to play along next week, oh by the way, with four, uh, Enter, uh, Next Generation now has 14 wins. Yeah. So the score through 41 weeks is original series with 16, Next Generation with 14, DS9 with 7, and Voyager and Enterprise have two each. Yeah. Next week, uh, by which I mean three weeks from now, I believe. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a week off. Uh, yeah, it's next week. We'll have next week off. We have to return to discuss more album cuts after that. So in three weeks. So everyone get, Ben, you don't have to send them in so quick. You got an extra week. We will be watching Obsession. I don't remember which one that is. Me either. Okay. We'll be watching Samaritan Snow. <laughs> I remember that one. Can't wait. <laughs> don't know if it's going to score well, but I remember it. <laughs> we'll see. It's got that B plot about Picard. That's true. Oh, Theory Corner is going to be wild next week. Yeah, uh, we are watching Crossover, which you just informed me is Mirror Universe, so I'm not excited about that. No reason. We haven't seen any Mirror Universe so far. Uh, we saw it in TOS. Oh, shit, we did. We have seen Mirror Mirror. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're watching Basics Part 2, the start of Voyager Season 3. That's when they get to meet all them cavemen and dinosaurs. That's right. And uh, for some reason, the uh, next week's episode of Enterprise is called Canamar. I'm guessing that's a place or something. They'll probably go to Canamar. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for playing, everybody. Uh, you can find us uh, at brotherdate.com. You can send us some mailbag stuff for two weeks from now uh, at brotherdate on the Twitter machine. Um, find us on the iTunes. Any parting thoughts? No. <laughs> All right. Well, I thought about it. I know. I appreciate it. <laughs> Again, like the work you did on that one episode where you came up with all that no, stuff. No, I'm tired. We're, we're three hours and 22 minutes into this thing. Yep. And, uh, all right. No parting thoughts, everybody. We're have a now. good week, everybody. We'll see you next week on another episode of Brother Day. Bye-bye. Uh, his DNA was taken without his permission, and we've seen in TNG you can just kill the result we haven't seen it yet i mean we are going to see it in tng see hold on (laughs) you can